For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Red FM's Cash Machine. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. Someone's going to have the opportunity to win a life-changing amount of money this week. There is €70,000 up for grabs. Imagine all you could do with that amount of money. Holiday, new car, home improvements, new home. Well, hardly that. Anyway, it would be a great way to start the St. Patrick's Bank Holiday Weekend. €70,000 in cash. It's easy to take part in the cash machine. We're about to give you uh, an amount. You take note of it, enter it, and then if we call you and you give the number back, you win that cash. It's a guaranteed winner as well this week. Someone will win the cash. If we get no answer, we'll pick another number and keep going until somebody wins the money. The cash machine amount is an easy one to remember this week. The amount you need to know is €70,000 exactly. €70,000 exactly. To enter, text RED and only the word RED to 57557. That's 57557. If it's you that we call back after 3 p.m. on Thursday, March 16th, your answer, if it's correct, within five rings and you tell us the prize amount, you win the money. Simple as that. 70 grand. So text the word red and only the word red to 57557. Uh, costs are €2.50 plus your standard message rate to play. You've got to be over 18. You'll be playing across the Go Loud network of stations. Full terms and conditions are on the Red FM website. Get your entry in by 3 p.m. Thursday when we could be calling you. Answer in five rings. Tell us the exact amount. 70,000 exactly. 70,000. So text red to 57557. 57557. Good luck. The home of the cash machine in court. Now... Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. All right. Uh, well, they talked in the papers this morning of snow and ice gone, just in time for St. Patrick's weekend, the long weekend. But having said that, a uh, bit of a windy, wet, damp old lead into the St. Patrick's weekend. It's actually quite disturbing, wasn't it, that uh, Middleton couldn't pull off a St. Patrick's Day Parade. Uh, apparently, there just wasn't enough people willing to get involved. And it's kind of sad, isn't it, when you have tiny little villages. You drive down around West Cork or South Kerry, little areas where you drive through in the space of 20 or 30 seconds. And they're having a St. Patrick's Day parade. It's kind of sad. I think there might be some sort of a get-together later on in Middleton today to try and attempt to maybe rescue something. Uh, but if you're down in Middleton and you have thoughts on that, I think it's sad. Imagine it's the first time ever that they could maybe not have a St. Patrick's Day parade and the clock is ticking. Uh, clock is ticking is right with regards to eviction orders. The front of the sun this morning has forced to live in our car. The stark reality of Ireland's housing crisis. And there's photographs of the couple in a wretched situation. They're Philippe Senziak and his wife Magdalena and their 22-year-old daughter booted out of their home in January and living in their car. And to say that they've got a lot of clothes on and hats and woolly hats and jacket after jacket after jacket. Uh, well, uh, the Sun explained it on the front page this morning with a very vivid photograph. Papers also talked this morning of tax breaks that are planned for renters and indeed for landlords. 
because they are trying to do the best they can now to stem the tide of the eviction fallout that will un- inevitably begin on the 1st of April. Front of the Examiner says, um, maybe this is just a sign of chaos. Maybe they just want to get in ahead of the game in some way, shape or form to tackle the tide of Sinn Féin. I don't know, but the Examiner is saying that ministers are eyeing an election later this year. And they're talking about November 24th. So that's the front page, our Ministers I-23, as in 2023 election date to tackle Sinn Féin. Hope to chat with Ono Brain from Sinn Féin a little later on this morning, particularly with regards to the housing and rental crisis. But talking about housing uh, people, we have asylum figure numbers out this morning in the Irish Times. Now, these would be for international protection accommodation um, housing, you know, people who come in under the international protection orders. That's doubled um, and it's just turned 20,000 now. And of the 20,000, uh, you've got um, uh, the vast majority of them are in direct provision accommodation. And then something in the region of eight or 9,000 others are spread around the country in what they call emergency accommodation, like uh, by and large, it would be like hotels, B&Bs and guest houses. That does not include the number with regards to um, refugees coming in from uh, from Ukraine. This is the amount that are coming in under international protection orders, those seeking asylum from all sorts of different countries and where they are being housed. But it's all about the numbers today because the Echo this morning says that the, the waiting list in Cork now for hospitals is 74,000. That's the number they're putting on it. 74,000 people were waiting for treatment at Cork hospitals last month. It's absolutely shocking and that is a number that keeps on increasing. You'd almost become used to seeing shocking high figures to do with anything that has to do with people's welfare uh, these days in Ireland, wouldn't you? And talking about welfare, uh, there's a story out of Mahan this morning uh, that we were posting and sharing over the weekend on this show, but it's a story in the Echo today where a number of dogs uh, were seized by the Gardaí after being found with injuries and suffering from neglect. Now this this got quite serious down in Manor, or at least it could have done, because the dogs were found in Mahan on Friday during a search of wasteland. But it actually involved the armed support unit and the serious crime unit. I mean, you got to think as to why you would need the real heavy hitters to come out for something like that. But nonetheless, there they were, the armed support unit and the serious crimes unit, as well as the CSPCA, Cork City Council, lots of different uh, staff from different agencies. And the Guardi carried out a search of wasteland on Friday morning uh, and it involved all of the above. And during the course of the operation, a number of animals discovered with injuries and something from ne- neglect. And I've seen some of the photographs of the misfortunate dogs, man's best friend, and the state that we're in, it's absolutely heartbreaking. You know, we hear of all sorts of different cases, particularly over over COVID. There's the story in the court reports in the Echo today of a, a fellow from Toker called Scott O'Regan. He was appealing a Cork Circuit Appeals Court against a sentence that was imposed on him in the Cork District Court for an assault and uh, for other matters related. He didn't actually dispute the, the fact of the cases against him, but he said that he didn't actually de- deliberately spit into the face of the man at the centre in Crosshaven in County Cork in May 2020. It was uh, something that happened, um, you know, during conversation. Um, but it made the course again, and the court reports today, it's kind of an example as to how bad things got 
during COVID. Uh, the man was very upset because COVID was at the forefront at the time, or at least that's what was, was said in court. But it makes the papers today uh, from the, actually, you know, there's a lot of Garda stories making the newspapers this morning because we will soon, I think it's actually uh, later on this week that we come up to the anniversary of the disappearance of Tina Satchwell. And Ralph Regal has covered this story since the off. Other journalists have as well, but for the independent Ralph Regal. So the Garda and detectives believe that someone in East Cork has information about what happened to uh, missing woman Tina Satchwell. Uh, they are issuing an appeal yet again to mark the sixth anniversary of her vanishing from her home in Gaul without a trace. Now, they don't believe that she uh, left Ireland for the UK, uh, where she'd been living for a period of time. But still in all, no trace, no activity, no phone activity, no bank account activity, no contact with family and our friends or anything like that. Six years later, in spite of exhaustive trawls by the detectives involved in the case, she vanished from her home in Yall in East Cork on the 20th of March, 2017. So this day week will be coming up to the anniversary of that. And then there are all sorts of issues regarding people's welfare when it comes to trying to, you know, put bread on the table, pay the bills, keep down a job, have somewhere to live and hold on to it. So much so that families are now turning to their GPs because of eviction stress. And parents are desperately seeking medical intervention from their doctors to deal with anxiety, to deal with fear, to deal with trauma. Um, particularly if they're being threatened with being forced out of their homes because of the eviction ban. So that's a front page you're making the, the mail today. But I mention it in this part of the papers because there's another one as well where a struck-off pharmacist is up the country suspected of orchestrating a takeaway prescription drug service targeting college students across across Dublin. Now, the drugs that are being sold to college students are the likes of anxiety medication like Xanax and Valium and Ritalin and Adderall, which apparently helps to uh, improve your concentration and focus. Uh, a lot of pressure and stress and anxiety and worry with regards to students in second and third level. Uh, and a lot of them reach out um, for, well, not a lot, but unfortunately a proportion of them look out, reach out for some kind of drug to calm them, but also to keep them awake or to improve and sharpen their concentration. That's a story I'm making the mail today. It's not anything that is exclusive to Dublin. There was a story like this in Cork for a number of years with regards to a particular GP. But you can even get all of these drugs marketed on social media now, Instagram, Snapchat. You can get all of these things and cocaine and heroin, whatever you want. Might come back to that later on this morning because Seamus has done a deep dive on that. Uh, but anything's available now faster than you'd order a pizza. And then you have stories involving the amount of money that the state is paying out in claims. Primarily, like the outstanding liabilities to the Irish state overwhelmingly are medical negligence cases amounting now to 3.8 million uh, euro. There's five, should I, should I say million? I'm an idiot. It's 3.86 billion euro. The legal claims against the state right now have doubled in five years to 5 billion euro. 5 billion. It's the front page you're making the Irish Times today. And you know, we all should be asking the question, why? Why is it so high? Why has it doubled? Why are there more and more cases of medical negligence being settled in the courts for huge sums of money? That is not a criticism of the cases, nor a criticism of the people who take the cases. It's a wonder as to why we have these uh, medical negligence cases, so many of them, and twice as many as five years ago. Uh, an interesting one that I'll come back to later on is Gary Glitter is out of jail. And what's the first thing he seemed to be doing in his bail hostel? Only um, trying 
to uh, navigate his way into the dark web. Does does he not learn? I mean, what is the guy's problem? Um, apparently, he uh, has been seen watching, and there's a video of him, the pop star, 78 years old, in his secluded bail hostel, staring at the smartphone, trying to find something called the onion. Apparently, that's a term for uh, the dark web. And it's used by a lot of different people for a lot of things, but including paedophiles, um, because it's hard to monitor or trace the users. So he's just out of jail. And this is his carry-on. Isn't that a lovely story, the veteran jockey that makes the front page of many of the red tops today? It's a great achievement. In spite of the fact that he's underwent two knee replacements and returned to the saddle and finally rode a winner yesterday for the first time in 35 years. I think it's a fabulous story. He's the oldest winner in 100 years, by all accounts. Now, I have the front page of the star today, but I don't have his age in that article. But he's got to be into his 60s at this stage um, or even older if he's deemed to be a pensioner. It's a great story. And the papers this morning talk about the workplace. More and more companies now are trying to coax their workers, <laughs> trying to coax their workers back to work. One of the way they're doing it is say, well, if you come back for a few days, we don't, you'll only have to work a four day week. Would that tempt you back to work? They no more crack, cracking the whip in that regard, is it? With employers and employees, it would seem. COVID put manners on all of that. And then apparently with the, uh, with the youngsters, they don't like hot coffee. They're just not into it. They, they go for cold brew. Can you please explain this to me? Because this is a story, Kevin, in the mirror this morning, saying that uh, the market is now shifting away from good old-fashioned hot Java Joe for uh, more exotic, exotic flavoured chilled coffees. What's, I tried one or two of them. I, They're disgusting. So of all of the topics I have spoken to you on this programme about in my time here, I think I am the least qualified to talk about this because I don't drink coffee. I know, but why? I don't like it. Oh, what's the deal? Like, I don't, cold I, I, coffee? I, Would you drink cold I tea? Know, I, a friend of mine loves it. Loves a cold coffee in the afternoon. He will, he, and he, he'll make the coffee, he has all the ice, he'll do it all at home. Cold. They they love it. I mean, I suppose it's a. Some people find it refreshing. I mean, personally, yeah, I, I can't drink a diet Pepsi or glass I, of water. Well, I it, it, it gives you a little bit of caffeine kick then in the afternoon. But I I can't. St- I I recently we had a whip round here for coffees, and uh, there was a there was one left over. It was some sort of vanilla flat white. Oh, basically, that's like exact. I love vanilla coffee. Mars do a fantastic vanilla bean. Oh, okay. it's magnificent. <laughs> I can tell you, I thought there'd probably be enough sugar in this to get me through it. And I took That's one just, sip of it. It was like, not anything. Could you get me coffee cake, cafe noir biscuits? No, I don't like coffee cake. No. I just like coffee. <laughs> you should try a chocolate mocha latte. No, I'm no interest in a chocolate mocha taco racing car. No, no interest. Let's get a barista on the air to explain Actually, what's going on. We have a resident barista. Who? Claire. We do actually. Is, Claire is she, she was a barista in a former life. Okay, she's still baristing. She is very I'm much. I'm sure the skills haven't left her. Hot coffee has been and gone. Says top barista. It's all about cold brews. There's nothing sacred. Anyway, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to talk to anybody about been. the overcomplication of coffee, Claire is definitely okay. a woman. <laughs> I'll get her in. Let's find out if we can uh, find out why, what's going on with the change in ways of coffee. Now, just while you're with me, um, the uh, thanks for the audio. We had the Oscars overnight, and in spite of numerous, numerous nominations. 
Unfortunately, the Banshees of Inishirin got nothing. Best picture went to Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I know absolutely nothing about it. I think it might be the one that Jamie Lee Curtis got the Oscar for Best Actor. So we didn't get that. Uh, we didn't get Actress in a Supporting Role for Kerry Condon. That went to... Jamie Lee Curtis, everything, everywhere, all at once. Actor in a supporting role. Well, we had Brendan Gleeson in there, we had Barry Keown in there. They didn't get it. It went to everything, everywhere, all at once. International feature film. Now, uh, The Quiet Girl was in that one on Colleen Kuhn. Didn't get it, unfortunately. I kind of thought that um, you might have heard me saying it and you might have been saying it too. All Quiet in the Western Front was going to get a whole shed load of Oscars and it did and it won that international feature film. Screenplay. Banshees was in it for that. It didn't get it. It went to... You guessed it. Everything, everywhere, all at once. But the one that really struck out for me, because I saw The Whale uh, with Brendan uh, Fraser. Uh, Claire's joining me in studio. Have you... Did you see The Whale? I didn't see The Whale. You didn't see The Whale. What, Mikey? Well, I did. And it's a good film. But it, but it's not it's not an Oscar-winning film. It, it just isn't. So, anyway, The Whale won uh, for that um, acting actor in a leading role. So, no good for Colin Farrell, nor for Paul Mescal in After Sun. Then we were in for director, Martin McDonough for Banshees. Didn't win it. Who won it? Everything, everywhere, all at once. But the live-action short film, we did win for An Irish Goodbye. And they actually sang Happy Birthday at the Oscars to a member of the crew. So that was fantastic for them. And then Original Score, uh, we were in it for that, but... All Quiet of the Western Front won that one. And film editing, we were in it for that. And again, it was won by Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. So we all got to go and see this, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. But uh, I have a couple of clips for you because people were really annoyed and angry uh, at the portrayal of the Irish at the Oscars over the weekend. Your thoughts are welcome on two of them. Firstly, this is the host, Jimmy Kimball, on stage. Have an eight. Five Irish actors are nominated tonight, which means... The odds of another fight on stage just went way up. Oh, really? Oh, isn't that charming? Huh? That's an amazing thing. But uh, in spite of all of that, this is Saturday Night Live, which an awful lot of people got very annoyed about for this kind of portrayal of the Irish. I wonder if you'd get away with this now, for instance, if you, we try to make jokes like this against black people or members of the Jewish community, or indeed, for instance, if you wanted to do it against ethnic minorities or the indigenous people who once lived in America or the people, the indigenous people who once lived in Australia, you know, groups like that. Uh, have a listen to this. Now, one group that doesn't traditionally watch the Oscars are degenerate gamblers. And that's why this year we're partnering with DraftKings to offer up-to-the-minute gambling odds. What's the latest update, fellas? Well, guys, here are some of the latest betting lines. We got three-to-one odds that a young actor brings out an old actor in a wheelchair and regrets it immediately. <laughs> Two-in-one that an actress who made $20 million last year will say the phrase, we are all Ukraine. And Ten to one that someone in the in memoriam is still alive. <laughs> We're also seeing a lot of movement in the who's going to make a surprise appearance poll. That's right. Some of the favorite long shot picks so far are Chris Rock, Jared from Subway, Army Hammer, the judges that overturned Roe v. Wade, George Santos pretending to be Tom Cruise, and this is a billion to one odds. Harvey Weinstein introduces Kanye West. Wow, a girl can dream. <laughs> but hold that thought, because I'm told we have the stars of the Banshees of Inna Sharon, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. <laughs> How do you guys like your 
chances tonight? Uh, you know, that's the words and, you know, like, uh, taint words are troops for her and your bay. Hey, me glain, 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 pewatari, swiddle, toony trees in it. Yeah. <laughs> Bush like they say, you know, our uh, times to go back, forgiving like, like it's been for long on. So Tinky team, me whole team at CAA. <laughs> wow, and they haven't even started drinking yet. They have it, guys, the unintelligible drunken Irish who just might start a fight on stage. Charming, isn't it? Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. I didn't know. I did know because you told me a long time ago. I think when we first met, you told me you trained as a barista. Did yeah. you work as a barista? I did for okay. years. Where? Yeah. So I used to work first. I started my barista work down in a lovely cafe in Middleton in Monty's Cafe. Um, and then I was a good few years up in Good Day Delhi there in How's Nano it, How long does it take to uh, train to be a barista? It's one of those ones where practice makes perfect. And there's so many different elements because you, you learn first about just actually putting a coffee together but the more you get into it then the more you realise how the temperature of the water I know, the extraction I'm not, I'm and the milk not going and the roast of the coffee it's very technical yeah, it's yeah. very technical and then when you get into the fancy dance stuff it yeah. gets even more and more technical so I'm always in awe watching baristas at work <laughs> but this story yeah. about uh, apparently they're saying what's the deal with cold coffee? It's getting really popular and it's something that's definitely making its way onto menus in cafes, here in Cork especially. Um, So you mentioned cold brew there and that is really nice cold coffee. So you know how you could make a batch of filter coffee, hot coffee. And then you let it go cold? It's no, the the process isn't even hot. It's actually a cold brew, so the whole process is cold. You just never boil the kettle? No, you don't even need to boil the kettle. And it's it's really refreshing with a bit of ice and especially if you have a really good quality coffee like a real kind that has real fruity okay, notes. So, so this isn't water though because when I see these cold brews they're brown or they're golden or they're almost yellowy. So cold brews yeah they can they can have really golden hues to them. That kind of depends on the roast of the coffee bean. So it's not milk or no. oat milk or almond milk and no. all these other things so people are drinking now. They would be like the other kind of cold coffee. So cold brew is like a batch of filter coffee that's cold. But then you have other cold coffees like, um, you know, you can get iced latte, iced flat white. And what oh, they are... Oh, that's so <laughs> disgusting. No, I love I a flat white. I actually think you'd like it, right? Because what that is, it is hot espresso that's cooled over ice and then you add cold milk to it. So and then I just drink cold milk. I just go to the fridge and get a glass of milk. But you know what? The, the, the caffeine in cold coffee actually hits you much quicker than the hot stuff. I swear to God. And it's so popular nowadays, especially now I know the States is, is far away, but in those kind of hotter places. If you, if you, co- if you go into a cafe now <laughs> in a hotter place here. and you say, uh, can I have a latte, please? The question they say is hot or cold. Really? It's that popular. Yeah. It's like 50 50. So I this heard is over a generational States. switch, is it? Yeah. Was it this way when you were training? They were really beginning to get popular so I started training about 2018 and when I was in Good Day Delhi 2019-2020-2021 all that time you'd be having it on batch and the ice would just be flying flying out okay. the door because that, I suppose people still want their caffeine hit yeah. but it's it's hot outside so what do you do? I just think those syrups are disgusting. We don't use syrups I'm not a fan of the syrups the hazelnut the vanilla all that kind of thing I'm, no, I'm a very kind of 
like as simple is better and I know that iced coffee sounds a bit convoluted but like if you just keep it to the espresso and ice and milk because you gave delicious. me instructions for a coffee machine I had at home to get the layered proper look with of the, the milk and the yeah, frothing it just yeah, was it's a tough it was a disaster yeah but as I say like it takes years to get the technique to do the the little latte art and everything like that see that one it's yellow yeah. and then it's red and then it's white and that apparently is a cold brew that's a weird kind of a it looks, photograph it looks, it looks like strange. a dessert to me <laughs> it looks like a trifle I it promise like you it's lovely or do you know what a big one is an espresso tonic I think you're what going to what the heck to. is that so what it is is if it is gin in it I can't drink there's it. no gin in it so it's tonic water and ice and you pour the hot espresso through it <laughs> You have to, you have to try it. It's the weirdest thing. And, and all, at first, you're you, unsure, but you'll get on board. If, and if you wanted to do that in car, where would yeah. you go now for a coffee as a barista? Where would you go if you went into the city, for instance, or or a suburban town? Uh, Filter on George's Key is Filter. real home of specialty coffee in Cork. They've been Filter. doing great things for a really, really long time. Okay, well, let's give them a big and shout out. Good Day Deli up in Nanonagle Place is fab. Cafe Molly on Douglas Street is amazing. She's off. Uh, no, I could keep going. Brew, they're all great. They're such a lovely coffee community in Cork and it's so friendly like if you ever have questions about coffee go into one of those places and they'll only be happy to apply they'll be kind they won't park at you no absolutely not okay well let's raise a cup to them all (laughs) All right. cheers for that Claire I'll let you get on text 0868104106 back after the break Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 Cork's Red FM. Okay, I've a very alarming email for you in a couple of seconds. It's uh, tied into the story I was referencing there regarding Gary Glitter uh, looking up the dark web on his mobile phone. And they say a lot of the time this could be done by people like what he was in jail for to uh, access material in the dark web. And I'm quite sure you know what I'm talking about there. He was um, he was jailed, uh, freed, he, was, he served half of a 16-year term imposed in 2015 for sexually abusing girls under the age of 13 during his glam rock heyday in the 70s and 80s uh, and had previously uh, been jailed for four months in 99 uh, when there were thousands and thousands of child abuse images found on his computer. He went overseas and he was jailed there uh, for sexually abusing girls in Vietnam apparently. So he's got some track record behind them. Now, you would think that this might actually mean that he might have, if, if this can be proven, that he's already searching and searching and searching, uh, that he could go back to jail again because uh, he's in a bail hostel. So you think that maybe his uh, his calls in the UK for his bail to be revoked. But it um, actually is a good opportunity for me to share a story with you uh, from someone. I, I have this uh, a little while now, um, so I don't know um, the outcome of the story, but... It's a very difficult email for the person who sent it to me to write in the first place where the person says, Hi Neil, this is very hard for me to write but I thought it was important that I speak up on the subject of and he and this person mentions a particular website which I'm not going to mention because I'm not going to give anybody any opportunity to try and go find it but it's a particular website. Uh, but I want to tell you a story from an entirely different perspective. After years of sexual abuse, rape and bullying, my confidence and self-esteem was so low that I became a social hermit. Uh, I wanted to live a normal life and be out with friends but I was just too afraid. When I tried to do normal things like the cinema or going to the pub, uh, my depression and anxiety would get so bad that I would have to get up and leave. It was embarrassing and heartbreaking. I have no good memories of my 20s. My mind wouldn't allow me to experience life. 
My friends then went on to get married, have children, go on fantastic holidays. I, on the other hand, locked myself into the house and avoided social interaction at all costs. I also had to deal with an emotional regulation disorder, which I have to say is the worst disease of them all. Part of this disorder meant my feelings were extremely intense. If I was happy, I was euphoric. If I was sad, I was suicidal. If I was angry, it was uncontrollable. But the worst of all was the feelings of loneliness. To stop feeling these devastating lows, I began partaking in impulsive, euphoric, reckless behaviors. I gambled excessively, not for the money, but for the thrill. I drove at high speed because it made me high. In these highs, I would sometimes arrange to hook up with people online. The moment I met them, I would I would drop to the suicidal feeling, but didn't have the confidence to change my mind. On the one occasion I did stand up and say no, he got angry and chased me up my stairs, caught me by the neck and the hair and dragged me into the bedroom where he raped me. So many, many reckless behaviors. The thing is, in the moment, I would not think of the consequences or what's right and what's wrong. It didn't matter as long as I escaped that awful dark place. The loneliness meant that I turned to social media sites for company. Much of the time, it was harmless. But in those highs, I would often be provocative to straight men, to married men. I was all talk, but still it got me out of the dark place. He goes on to say then, I have probably used most sites on the internet at some stage, but one particular one would be the ruination of my life. Talking to strangers was thrilling. It wasn't for me a sexual thing. It was the unknown, the danger. Oftentimes there would be a person on the other side who said that they were 12 or 13. I would immediately leave the chat. It's important to note that predators would also pretend to be that age to lure children into a false sense of security. But I truly believe a lot of them were genuine. I began talking to an Australian man for a small while and he sent me a couple of Dropbox links. Without thinking, I downloaded them. The stuff I saw will haunt me forever. It was explicit child pornography. I didn't get aroused. I didn't get angry. I just bawled my eyes out. Now, this may be misconstrued, but after a few years of being molested as a child, I was forever haunted by that. I could have had I, I could have healthy sexual relations. Um, it turned my stomach. It made me depressed. It made me guilty. It made me ashamed to see what I saw. My extended family bullied me into keeping quiet about the abuse that I suffered and what I went through. My local hospital did not address it just fired medication to numb the pain. So I repressed it for most of my life. But seeing these images brought about the biggest emotional relief I had ever had in my life. That part, for some, may be just about forgivable. Unfortunately, I got sucked in to that very bad place and ended up conversing with paedophiles and again recklessly and openly sent one the pictures that I had been given. Again, there were no thoughts of consequences, or right or wrong. It was that high again. I was guided into the dark web by one man, and this was like giving a suicidal man a gun. It wasn't just pornography, there was everything from drugs to murder confessions. 
I didn't get a kick out of any of its content, but the fact that I was pushing the boundaries is what mattered. This wasn't a repetitive thing, not a daily occurrence. Eventually, it did not fill the empty void, and I moved on to other things, not illegal. But the damage was done, and I got a house call from the guardie. Soon I will be before the courts on these charges. It is surreal and has been absolutely devastating on all aspects of my life. Nobody can hate me more than I hate myself. I'm not trying to play victim at all. What I did was wrong, but I never meant to harm anyone. I didn't do it for sexual perversions, but I know the rest of my life is going to be even worse. I'm going to be called a pedo. I'm going to be shunned. The funny thing is, I have kept this secret for three years now. I've been so tormented, I just wanted to grab a megaphone and tell everyone what I have done. But I had to consider my family and friends. Anyway, my name will be public enough soon. For most of my life, I hated the paedophile who abused me. And now I feel like I'm no better. And that destroys me. The point in all of this, however, is not about me. It is to warn parents about the horrific dangers of this dark, seedy part of the internet. Trust me, I've seen it. I've experienced it. Be extremely vigilant of your children's usage. These paedophiles are everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Uh, and they are extremely conniving and can fool you very, very easily. But I also want to plead with anyone out there who suffers the way I do with childhood trauma. Get help. Don't put it off. You do not want to go down the same rabbit hole I did. Sorry for the long message, but I felt it was important to speak out despite the backlash I will most likely receive. And that is the entire contents of the email. Yes, he's right when he says that your thoughts are welcome on this. Text 0868104106. Uh, but just as a, as a by the way, um, I have this email for some time intentionally because I wanted a period of time to pass until such time as the court case had taken place. I don't, I don't know who this person is. I may have been reading his story in the newspaper court reports. I just don't know. But I would believe... Um, pretty certain that at this stage the uh, actual uh, court case has taken place and some kind of sentence has been handed down. Text 0868104106. My apologies to Alison. Back after the break. Calls on the way. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. Oh, it's unbelievable. You could have nine nominations and not win one single Oscar. I wonder if anybody else in the past with a film has nine or more and not get anything. Be interesting to see if you guys know that. Actually, one interesting text here from Martha says, No, Brendan Fraser, slander, please. He deserves his Oscar. Hollywood treated him very badly. So it's nice that he's now doing well. Fair play. Uh, my apologies to Alison. It's not as if she's been on hold for uh, long enough. And she joins me by phone. Alison, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Hi, I'm Grant. Very sorry to hear your ma'am, but you were yeah. listening, obviously, to programmes over the last few days. Tell us about Alice. Um, she was amazing, really. She went into hospital on the 27th of December, 2020. Um, she left from my house. Um, and she was four and a half weeks without a visit. We couldn't get in. We were demented yeah. trying to get in. Like she, she was broken hearted in there, and we were broken hearted out here. It's going to be hard for me to talk now, but I have to do it. I know. I um, know. Yeah. Um, you said that she was. She was. Uh, how old did you say your mum was? Uh, Seventy-eight, but she thought she was eighteen. That's it. What you were saying. <laughs> she was more like an eighteen-year-old, young at heart. She was. She yeah. was. She was. Yeah. Um, but after two days in there, um, she. I rang one morning and I just rang the ward looking to speak to my mum. I rang her phone and it wasn't, she wasn't answering. So I just had to ring the ward. And the lovely nurse answered and she said, 
she just kind of giggled. She said, <laughs> I said, I'm just inquiring about my mom. And she said, <laughs> and I said, is she okay? She goes, you won't believe what she done last night. She rang the guards. What? And I said, I was like, sorry. But the phone then was whipped from the nurse. So I was still talking about the nine and nine. I said, sorry, the guards. And then an understudy came on. And an understudy was telling me like what they put her on, what they stopped, her blood pressure, her oxygen. So like that took over the conversation then. So like every phone call I had, I had on speaker because um, my husband was here and my kids were here. We were all in isolation at the time. And, and you could like, not visit the hospital, of course. No, 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 no. Um, so regarding that 999 call, um, I had to drop close to the hospital that day. So I left them at the reception on the entrance and I came out and I said, you know, my mum wouldn't have done that unless something happened or like something made her do it. So I rang 999. I ran the guards in Angusy Street and they said, look, under data protection, they can't disclose any information because it was made from my mum's phone and mm. she was in their care. Mm. So I thought nothing of it, Neil, because my husband even said, look, if something happened, you're, they would have contacted... Like, I walked the floor that morning with a pain in my chest. I said to my husband, something is happening to my mum. I just... If she was... Something happened to her, I'd feel it. You know, that kind of way. I sensed it. Um, but we, well, I left it off because I said, you know, they would have contacted. Um, now, the following morning, I rang again. I rang my mum's mobile and I said, are you doing okay, mum? She said, no, I'm not. I said, what's wrong? She said, my leg is pumping. I was like, oh, what do you mean? She said, look, I'm on morphine and they didn't dress the leg like you dress it. So I said, stay on the mobile phone. Bleeding I'm as in bleeding. Ward. Yeah, yeah. So oh. I said, stay on your mobile phone, mum. Calm down. I'll ring the ward. So I rang the ward. I won't give any names. I spoke to a ward head. I was told by the ward head that my mum just nipped her leg up the side of the bed and it looked worse than what it was. Okay, so... Oh. Going forward, I trusted what they were saying because I said, you know, this is what happened. If something really bad happens, they'd have told me. So that was fine. So I begged for a visit. I said, please, look, my brother, who's my mom, can he please go in for five minutes, ten minutes? So he said, look, they're around, they're around today, the head people, but look, you can come in around 11. So I rang him. He flew over. I said, do me one favour. Ring. I said, screenshot her mobile. He got in and she kept saying, get out, get out. You'll get COVID. You'll get COVID. Go out. So he screenshotted the, her phone the 909 calls so we have a time of date now when my mum passed I actually went to her, to her water to try and get that 999 call now I had to go listen to it with my sister in Angus did you get it? I did I did. I just just before we get to that, you you know, you kind of jumped ahead there because you had said, Sorry. my mother was treated horrendously after going into care Sorry. in a hospital. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. She lost two and a half stone in four weeks. She did. She did. She did. She did. Um, but after that, after the... the, the did you go in with COVID or do you mind me asking why? No, no my mum had COPD um, and like she cocooned for like two, the two years of the pandemic. She cocooned. She did nothing. She stayed in her own house. Um, when we were allowed to connect to a bubble, she connected to my bubble. She didn't do anything outside it. Like she was moved to five different wards and ten different rooms in four weeks. So, so that put her yeah, 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 risk. yeah. Did you she ever did you did you ever have um, screen time with her? Never, never, never mentioned. No, I think when she was being moved, I don't know myself. I think she was being in class as a new patient every time. Or she felt in some crack in the system or something because when I would ring then I'd ring and I'd say mum you okay and she couldn't breathe so I'd ring the ward now my mum's name was Alice Donovan was her her, um, her name now I'm not going to give the name she was called because that person died the same night as my mum 
So on two or three occasions, I would ring and I'd say, I'm just inquiring about my mom. I don't think she's okay at the moment. And she'd say a different person's name back to me. She'd say, oh, no. I'd say the first name, Anne, and then the second name. She's fine. I said, my mom isn't called that yeah, name. Yeah. And I said, she's fine. So I haven't done more than one or two occasions. And like from there on in then, if I had any com- correspondence, I'd ask them for her NPRA number. I'd quote that rather than a name. Wow, just to be sure you were getting yeah. you were getting yeah. advi- an update on the right patient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like she, she was actually sedated a lot of the time. Like, And then when I'd ask for the medication to be stopped, she'd say to me, what the F did they do- give to me yesterday? What did they do to me? Get me out. She actually told my brother that she's not going to walk out of the life. Did she say, I'm not going to get out of here alive? Yep, yep. yep. Did she come home at any stage? No, no. Never. Like, she was never away from us. Even COVID, I walked. I only live in Balavalan. I walked five kilometres most days. I did our tablets in the rain. I didn't go inside. Because she stayed at home for an entire year. For an entire year. Yeah, and then ended up in hospital. Lost all of yeah. this weight. And, and and passed away in there. She did. She did. Um, she was moved. I actually rang one more. Like, I, I made it clear she was not to go to any other more if she was being moved. I was to be told she was being moved to St. Francis unit. I was told to, on two or three occasions, oh, she won't be home this weekend, in the middle of next week. I have handwritten files, Neil, since my mum was in hospital from day one. They're all handwritten and they don't add up to my mum's medical and non-medical files. Okay, okay. There's chaos um, in our hospitals, I know that, but that's not oh an excuse. I'm not giving an excuse nothing. in any way, shape or form. But nothing. So, wh- when did she die? Um, she went in the 27th of December 2020. And she was taken from me on the 30th of January, 2021. Cause of death? Um, um, COVID. COVID. <laughs> now, I was told first day she had um, heart failure in the acute stage. I got a phone call, which I was flabbergasted. I was like, my mom. I said, you know, but that, that isn't on her death cert. It's COVID. Okay. She, had six, she had six negative COVID tests and one, the last one was positive. So I rang one morning and I said, I'm just ringing about my mum after her fifth or sixth different ward move. And the nurse answered the phone and she said, oh, she's not in this room at all. She's not in this ward anymore. And I'm like, sorry, until you contact us with any move. And she said, she tested positive during the night. The yeah. doctor's already called you. And I said, I've received no phone calls. Yeah. I've received yeah. no call. I said, you better get somebody on the phone right now. And I did speak to somebody. But um, I begged, Neil. Every, I begged and begged. I pleaded with everyone, ward heads, doctors, staff. I even knew a nurse. I said, please, can you try and get me in? Nothing, nothing. So when I did, eventually, I rang. <clears throat> she did get COVID, and she was transferred up from one ward to another. Um, but she kind of deteriorated fairly fast. Um, and on the 28th of January, I rang one morning, and I couldn't get through. I kept ringing. I said, please, please, can I get in to see my mother? I said, look, I, I, I had COVID. I'm over it. I'm out of my isolation period. And the ward had said, oh, that changes things you can come in and I'm like she said what's your PPS number so I had to give her my PPS number my name my address my whole details to get in did no, you I get in I did I got and do you mind day. if we pick up on that part of the conversation that would lead us on to the 999 oh, yeah, call yeah. after 10 yeah perfect, thank you yeah. okay I'll perfect. finish up the conversation with no you problem, a little later on thank you Alison out of time for now but back after 10 text 0868 104 106 I'm Rory and I'm Val you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. 
Someone's going to have the opportunity to win a life-changing amount of cash this week. There is €70,000 up for grabs. Text RED to 57557. That's RED to 57557. Cost is €2.50 plus your standard message rate to play. You've got to be over 18. You're playing across the Go Loud network of uh, radio stations. Full terms are on our website at redfm.ie. Get your entry, your text in by 3 p.m. Thursday and we could be calling you. Answer within five rings. Tell us the prize amount and the cash is yours. When I say cash, I'm saying 70,000 euro. Exactly. That's what you've got to say. Uh, 70 grand up for grabs. Text RED to 57557. That's 57557 and good luck. Home of the cash machine in court. Now... Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Alison, my apologies, we ran out of time just before 10. So you you did get in to see your ma'am? I got in after they'd taken my PPS number for 15 minutes. And how was she? What did you see? Um, She was alert and coherent and she was, I painted her nails, I fixed her hair. I mean, she was actually, I actually went in with a picture of my mom, myself and my three girls who she adored. Um, And I just had to show it to the nurse and the ward head before I went in. And they said, who's that in the picture? <sighs> so I was kind of like, how inhumane is that? I said, that's my mum. She had lost so, weight, though. She did. She had lost a lot of weight. She did. Two and a half stone, you think? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I only kind of found that. I have her medical records and non-medical. So but I she, you noticed the weight loss? Oh, you would. She looked okay. She was clean, you know what I mean? But she looked okay. What did she say to you? Um, she couldn't really say much, really, Neil. Um, she was a bit agitated, I suppose, when she saw me. I, I suppose her eyes were something I'll never forget because she was just anxious, fear, um, as if she was left there, you know, that we didn't want, that we didn't care. Because she taught me one time when I did ring, um, pick out her clothes that, she's gonna bur- that we're going to bury her in. That was on the Friday that she got the COVID. And I was like, why? And then she ran me back and she said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, Al. Um, but when we got her files, um, they still don't come to the death farm. Okay, just move Sometimes. around there again. Bad weather seems yeah. to affect the phone lines. <clears throat> they filled out a comfortable death form. It's called a form D6. Um, without our knowledge, obviously told my mum. What is and that? That's why, I don't know. That's why they actually told her, that's why she actually told me to pick out her clothes that, she, that we're going to bury her in. What was the form? Do you know what that was about? It's a co- comfortable death. It's like um, you've, you've re- um, liaised with pa- patients, you have liaised with patients' family, um, to prepare them for death, like, you know. Really? Really? Yeah. And you, no one in the family was contacted about any of that? No, I, I was next of kin. I was the one that was making all the calls. Um, there's you, six of us in family. And, and I your mum had to sign that form? No, it wasn't signed. Okay. It just ticked that she, she was told and we were told, but we were never told. But they apologised for that. Um, which is a big thing because my mum just thought we left her there at times, you know. No, she, oh, knew, she, didn't. she knew we didn't. And... But, how soon after your visit did she pass away? Um, I got on the Thursday. I rang and I was three hours waiting for a call back. So I kept ringing the hospital. I said, look, you took my PPS number. Please, can I get in? Because three hours were vital. And I got a call back from the warthead and I was told it's time. But she didn't say whether it was time to go over or whether it was time that she was going to die. So I'm only living five minutes away. So I flew the road in the car. My husband dropped me. I got in that time. So I kind of stayed. I think I was over my 15 minutes. A lovely nurse came out and she said, look, it's time to go. And that's it. You can't get in anymore. So I rang all day. I rang all night. Three in the morning. A lovely nurse. She told me, look, Alison, she's fine. Go get some sleep. Rang the following morning. 
because um, I thought this was it, we won't get it, I won't get it anymore. And a lovely nurse answered, and she said, you can call, you can come over again today. And I'm like, I was taught yesterday that was it. So I think really depend on who you spoke to. Yeah. Yeah. Depending who was around, so I needless to say, I ran the road. I actually remember running, running, sprinting, um, into the mercy, and um, I got in again. But that she was more out of it that day, um, and a nurse came in and didn't say in a silent voice, "You overstayed your fifteen minutes." And my mom was still looking like at me as if to say, "Like is she for real?" Um, so I made three attempts to go to the door. Like the difference between 15 minutes and 30 minutes or 45 yeah. minutes, as if it's going to yeah. make a difference, like. Yeah. Neil, I'd have, I'd have stayed, I'd have, I'd have, if you said to me, take half my body, I'd have given it to stay there. I never sat in the seat. I held her hand the whole time. I painted her nails. I fixed her hair. I told her how beautiful she was, that how much she was loved, that she was adored. I told her every day that I loved her, but I never left the ward without telling her how much she meant, and that we didn't forget about her. We didn't, you know. Is that we the last time you saw her alive? Um, I left then again, and they said, look, any deterioration, we'll contact you. I received no phone call on that day. I was walking the floor all night, um, and at nine o'clock at night, I rang my sister. I said, look, I can go, I can get in again. They were all ringing to get in, and they were like, no, no. I said, look, I can get back in. They told me, because I was in already, but being the selfless person that I am, I said to my sister, I'll step back and you can go. And she said, no, it's not fair. You can go. So we were fighting. like, And I said, get over to ma'am. She got over. She played all her Sonny Noel songs. She played all Lane's stage songs. And she was reminiscing about long ago. And she was leaving and she was told by a nurse. My sister said, what? What are we talking? And the nurse said, she's too strong. She's not going anywhere. So she left about half ten. My mum's nursing diagnosis was closed at half eleven. She was given around a morphine pump at 10 o'clock. She was given another morphine pump at half 10. And my mother received a morphine pump 12 hours after she passed away. She wasn't even in a mercy, but that's an error. Sorry, it, I missed that because it's not a great phone line. You said the morphine pump, what? She was given a morphine pump at 10 o'clock on her file, 5.1 mils. She was giving, given okay. 8.1 mils at um, half past 10 at night. And at 14.50 the following day, she received, administered a morphine pump and it was ticked and signed. But my mum was dead at 10 to 3 in the morning, not the following day. So she, she was administered a morphine that's pump. That's confused paperwork. Your mum died in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. that's so but like, sad. I rang at court yeah. about 2 in the morning to speak to her and the, nurse, and the nurse was on her break. So one person is telling me there was somebody with her. And then the next person is telling me they aim to check on patients every 15 minutes. But it happens that they pass away on their own. God. It's important that your story is told, you know, and listened to. And it's important for you as well to have the story heard. But what happened with regards to the 999 call? So when she passed, I kind of just said it to my sister and my husband and my family and one of two brothers. I said, look, what will I do? Will I go to school? And it's it's forever going to eat me away. I need closure. So I went down every avenue and I spoke to a brilliant detective. I don't need any names of anybody investigating anything. I know. Yeah, I know. No, no, nothing. But she, I just wanted to praise them because they were fantastic. So she asked me, did I want to go and listen to it? I said no at first. But then after the weekend, I said, yeah, I'll go. So I picked my sister to come with me. And we had to go and listen to the call. No, I'm not going to say what was in the call because it's too distressing. And I was told... You tell me whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, I was told that they, they, the hospital don't deny the call was made, but they don't have a record of it. But the guard in question, when my mom did ring, the guard in question asked if she wanted the ambulance... 
the guards are fire brigade, so she says the guards. Um, she just wanted to know that Leva Fabian know where she was because she didn't have to around two or three times at that stage. Um, contact my brother, she gave her the name, her address, her name, her address, her age, her date of birth, you name it. So she wasn't actually out of it. She was able to tell me what tablet she was taken off, what tablet she was put on. And her last, she said something happened, but I'm not going to disclose that over the phone. And she just happened to say to the, the, the guard, I'm 70, her last words to him were, I'm 78 years of age, please don't forget about me. And to he didn't. What does he, it, yeah, he can you say he what actually, the guards did when they yeah, receive an emergency he, call? He actually um, made contact with the Mercy Hospital about my mum's welfare. Wow, um, but I have it in um, guard paper from the guards on headed paper and I have holding that in my hands now and if you ask me what's my most prized possession it's this because this shouldn't have happened and I shouldn't have and my sister shouldn't have had to go and listen to that. You know? Listen to your mother's nine 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 call to Anglesey yeah. Street. It's, it's heartbreaking. That, you see, Neil, you see, she made that because she was actually in fear. She was afraid, but it wasn't. All she wanted, all she wanted them to know was to contact us to let her know, let us know where she was. But that wasn't done. I've given them the time and the date of the call, the time and the date. I've asked them to check, and they checked the wrong ward. So, what are you doing with all of the information you have put together? I tell you now, Neil, I could be a detective. I'd get any guard in, in, in Ireland would give me a job because I spent two years, many sleepless nights. I'm broken. I'm a different person. And um, I will fight for, until I just, you know, this shouldn't happen to our loved ones. It shouldn't. And if it does, th- then, then communication is key here. They should follow up. They okay. should make sure. Okay. Like, this happened before a changeover in the morning, so it's fresh on people's minds. I was told by a nurse this happened. So... Where, where is the record of it? I haven't. They haven't. So, what's been hidden? You know what I mean? Will you continue with the fight or continue yes. with uh, the yes. uh, inquiry yes. or go to the yes. ombudsman perhaps or something like yes. that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the case of the ombudsman at the moment. Okay. Yeah, it's will you stay yeah. in touch and let us know how it develops? I will, Niamh. But can I just say one thing there? Yeah. Um, I, like, I just think when my mum passed, we were like, even when I got into my mum that day, I said, Mum, please go, close your eyes, please go when I'm here. I prayed for my mum to die. Imagine that, that she, I'd be with her when she died. But then when she died, there was no closure. There was no, here's your mum. My mum was taken, we, 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 my daughters went over with clothes and left them at reception for my mum, wrote letters, put them in our pockets, told her how much she was loved, which she was. But we never saw my mum in the funeral home. We couldn't sit in Most the... Often, yeah, yeah. We couldn't sit in the funeral home room. We couldn't... No one showed up to say my mum's rosary. These are all small things, you know? I don't know. Is there any consolation in the sense that you weren't the only one? I suppose there isn't. I know. You know. I know. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. Mother's Day is coming up. And can I just say something to all your listeners? Just tell your mothers you love them. Right. I did that to my mother every single day. And I have no regrets. Well done. You stay know? in touch. Stay I'm in touch, Ashley. Oh, listen. I'm sorry for ranting on you. You're not, you but now. do stay in touch. We'll have we'll have another update to that story, I'm sure, can in the not distant future. One, can you just tell me one more favour towards yeah. the morning? She loved Elaine Page, and her song was um, The Second Time. I'd actually be honoured if you could play that for her. If I can find that song between now and the back end of the week, I certainly will do that for you, yeah, because you've been very so kind, much. and it's difficult to tell your story, but thank no, you for it. The Come fight back. is in me, and...
the fight is in me and I think it's my mum speaking out this morning not me because I'm nervous and I cry at the drop of a hat okay. so I just don't know where I got the strength from okay well she'd be very proud of you stay in touch alright Ash- Alison thank, 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 thank you thank you thank you later in the week we'll do we'll do right by your mother I promise you that. I want to apologise to um, well I know he won't mind the Sinn Féin housing spokesman uh, spokesperson Owen O'Brien joins me by phone Owen good morning no, no apology in Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, we're hearing a lot. Yeah, well, you know, we're hearing a lot of stories on um, of people who went through horrible times during COVID. Sometimes treatment in nursing homes, and sometimes, unfortunately, stories like that from hospitals. And I think you'd agree it's important they're heard, right? Oh no, absolutely. And 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 like any trauma, um, it's only after the trauma that people can start to articulate and and give voice to, to what they've experienced yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I think both for, for that family but also I think for the wider community uh, these are stories that need to be heard. Thank you for that I'm glad you appreciate that. We need uh, 250,000 homes, we need them fast at the same time interestingly and you've written the book on this, there are 155,000 vacant homes across the country right now. I'm estimating anywhere between 4,000 and perhaps 6,000 maybe as high as 7,000 eviction notices could kick in on the 1st of April it's pretty shocking right? It is, and, and I think what is most frustrating about this um, uh, is that we have seen this train wreck coming, and we've seen it coming for some years. Uh, at the core of, I suppose, the homelessness crisis that's coming down the tracks uh, because of the government's conscious decision to end the ban on eviction is year after year after year uh, of the government's failure to deliver an adequate supply of both social and affordable homes, affordable rental and affordable purchase. And at the same time, a government who has sat on its hands as for seven years, the private rental sector uh, has shrunk. Uh, Single property landlords, for for a variety of reasons, which we know well, uh, have been selling up. And the combination of those two things, the shrinking of the private rental sector uh, and the abject failure of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael to deliver an adequate supply of social affordable homes, meant that on Friday, the Residential Tenancies Board, I think, shocked all of us with the figures that saw uh, almost 5,000 eviction notices issued to tenants across the state uh, in the third quarter of last year. Yeah, but that's, that's, before you even add on, that's before you add on any eviction notice that would be delivered on the 1st of April, though. Well, those, those eviction notices, and the reason why the, the Friday figures are so important is about 3,000 of those 5,000 will fall in the first couple of weeks in April. Okay, and is there a court um, figure... There is, and I was about to give that to you. So that, there's 500 in Cork, about 10% of the statewide total. Dublin obviously being the largest, but Cork is the second largest. Uh, and the difficulty we have is is the reason why the ban on evictions was introduced last November was because in October, about 19 local authorities were reporting that their emergency accommodation was full. They simply had nowhere else uh, uh, to place people if they presented seeking refuge uh, uh, on foot of an eviction. Um, since then, as we know, the homeless figures have increased um, uh, and our emergency accommodation system is under even greater pressure. Yeah, we have people in cars, we have people in tents. Uh, people at the last week were told, go to your local guard station and ask for a cell. Can you believe that? Well, and that happened when Owen Murphy was the Minister for Housing back in 2018. Uh, there's, a, there's a kind of a two-sla guidance, which is if a family with, a jo- with children or a child presents for emergency accommodation and none is available, uh, they're referred to a guard station uh, for a safe place to stay. Now, the guards themselves have said that that is not adequate or suitable. Uh, and the problem is this. Um, uh, government took a decision last week. Uh, Michal Martin, Leo Varadkar and Eamon Ryan took a decision to end the ban on evictions in three weeks' time. What that means is in the first, second, third, fourth week in April, 
uh, thousands of people with eviction notices uh, will yeah, have nowhere yeah. to go. Yeah, we know um, that. We know that. But the eviction ban was always temporary. It had absolutely. to come to an end sometime. Absolutely. And, and we made the point that uh, it should only be temporary. But what was more important than the ban was the emergency actions that could have and should have been taken during the breathing space that the ban provided. Uh, I wrote both last October and again last Monday a very detailed memo to Darrell O'Brien setting out the kinds of emergency actions that would need, be needed to take, uh, government should take to take advantage of a ban. Uh, unfortunately, government didn't do that over the winter and that's why we're in a position where uh, to, to avoid the kind of human catastrophe of a significant increase in homelessness, the government should extend the ban but crucially take the emergency actions that we've urged uh, that will both reduce the number of people becoming homeless, get people out of What's emergency that emergency action? What was that? So there were three key points. The first is uh, there is a scheme that local authorities can purchase private rental properties that have tenants in situ uh, in receipt of the HAPA RAS payments and with an eviction notice. That scheme was reopened last year, uh, but the rules underpinning it uh, aren't working. And we set out in very detailed form uh, how the government should improve that scheme so that you could have a significant number of those purchases. That scheme is only good for people who are on the social housing waiting lists, uh, and a lot of the people getting eviction notices uh, aren't eligible for social housing. So they're forgotten about under that proposal? Well, they are under the government's proposal, but we want that scheme extended for approved housing bodies for what's called affordable cost rental to capture all of those other people. But also we wanted government to uh, adopt a a kind of a COVID-19 emergency response using emergency planning and procurement powers and targeting those vacant and derelict properties that you mentioned and also some new building technologies to bring on stream uh, another thousand or so additional social and affordable homes above the existing targets. Yeah, but they can't even meet the targets they have. It's all all very well to be a hurler in the ditch in opposition, but how would Sinn Féin do things any differently? Would you start building homes again like were built in, say, the 50s and 60s? Would you impose even higher taxations on these tens of thousands of vacant properties? Would you repossess them? What would you do? Sure, and, and we don't just turn on the ditch, we give government uh, 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 real uh, proposals and, and, and real propositions. So if you take vacant homes, one of the reasons why the local authorities are slow, so slow to take action in vacant homes is because they're not given adequate finance in advance to go and purchase and refurbish those properties and then either sell them or rent them out affordably or, or rent them out as social homes. We would set a real target of about 4,000 uh, vacant homes to be bracketed brought back into use every year and we would give the local authorities the cash as well as the targets in advance to deliver those. Likewise, for example, with social affordable homes, you're absolutely right, three years in a row government keeps missing their targets. But the real issue is the targets are too low. Uh, uh, We need about 20,000 social and affordable homes annually. Uh, Last year, government will have delivered about 7,000 social and maybe 1,000 affordable homes. Again, they're imposing too much bureaucracy on our local authorities and approved housing bodies. We've made detailed proposals as to how to, to rectify So how that. would you go about building these tens of thousands of houses fast? So be- be- before you talk about the tens of thousands, and I will answer that question, I, I do want to make one point about emergency measures. Uh, one of the reasons why we're facing into this crisis when the eviction ban ends is because there are too many people trapped in emergency accommodation and they can't get out. And therefore, we need an emergency response to put in place over a short number of months a couple of thousand additional units uh, uh, of good quality permanent accommodation. Government did use... But they're, but they're not there. Permanent. They're not there because they're but, full but, but with Ukrainian me, war refugees and something no, in the region no, of 20,000 uh, international protection let, order and let, hotels and let, bed, bed and breakfast. Let me, 
let me make this point because this is really important. During COVID, government was able to use emergency planning and procurement powers to put in place a whole variety of infrastructure, including testing centres and and vaccination centres and emergency accommodation. We want them to take exactly the same approach with uh, additional finance to allow our local authorities to get access to those vacant and derelict homes that are lying idle all over the cities and and towns of the country and to use new building methodologies, uh, modular building technologies where 90 square metre homes can be uh, manufactured in 11 to 12 weeks. Modulars then you're saying? On on an emergency, absolutely. So it's repossess more vacant and build more modular? Absolutely, okay. as an emergency response now. Uh, and then how you deliver those 20,000 public homes is you provide the finance, you set the targets, you reduce the bureaucracy. Uh, and I talk to a lot of building contractors all around the country, including in your own uh, uh, city and county. And if they were given five-year framework agreements where they knew they had a pipeline of work to build for the local authorities, uh, they would be building all day long. Government has set up the systems for delivery of social affordable housing to fail. They are simply not working. It's taking far, far too long. Okay. And what we need to do is, is lift the shackles off the local authorities and approved housing bodies, give them the funds, give them the targets, okay. uh, cut the red tape and let them deliver those 20,000 public homes a year. There are properties there. We looked at them last week. Cork City and County has 62 rental properties on daft.ie, 62 for the entire city and county. Meanwhile, over on Airbnb, there are over a thousand rental properties available in the Cork City and County area, covering a range of accommodation types, private rooms all the way to apartments to houses. Isn't that insanity? It's also illegal. Um, under legislation that was passed following a report from our Oireachtas Housing Committee in 2019, uh, uh, anybody who is short-term letting a property in a rent pressure zone, uh, and that includes the bulk of those you've just mentioned, needs a change of use planning permission, and there would be a presumption to refuse such planning permission. The problem with the legislation the government introduced back then, which we supported, but the problem with it was there was no enforcement mechanism. We have long argued uh, that the online platforms like Airbnb should be fined every single day uh, where they advertise a property that doesn't have the appropriate planning permission. Government is now belatedly introducing a different enforcement mechanism. It's a registration system. For so you'd go farming. after Airbnb? You'd go after them? Think about it this way. Those properties that have been advertised in Dublin City or Cork City, if they do not have planning permission, and I would put money on it that 95% of them don't, they are breaking the law. And Airbnb is advertising those properties and is profiting from those properties. If somebody is peer-to-peer home sharing, if they're renting out a room in their own property for less than 90 days a year uh, to help subsidise their own income or, or their own holiday, they don't need a planning permission. But if somebody is renting out an entire property or their own property for more than 90 days, they need a change of use planning okay. permission. Yeah. The rules say that they should not get is in a rent pressure zone. Uh, and Airbnb and other platforms should not be allowed profit from law-breaking. So it's the lack of enforcement is the reason why you have that appalling So you see the 61 properties on Daft in Cork City and County is probably attracting over a thousand email queries per property. Yeah, but the the real question you have to ask is if you then look at the targets that the department has set for Cork City Council uh, and indeed for Cork County Council in terms of delivery of social affordable housing, the targets are simply too low. This government has been in office for two and a half years. It's halfway through its term. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, as you know, we're in a confidence and supply arrangement for four years before that. We've had six and a half years of these two parties. They have had plenty of time 
to put in place the delivery streams for not just social homes, but for affordable rental. But, and yeah, so they had lots of... I understand, I understand the party politicking. We see, I, I know that, but we always see in the doll is uh, Sinn Féin on one side, arguing, shouting and roaring, calling names at each other, and Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael doing the same back to you guys. Whereas what people want is everybody to come together, cross-party initiative to solve it, rather than the bickering that we see last week between Mary Lou MacDonald and Lee Varadkar, mm. Pierce Doherty and Micheál Martin. Well, here's the frustrating thing. We did that in 2016. Uh, we had a cross-party dull subcommittee on the housing and homelessness crisis. I was on it, um, uh, as were deputies from uh, all parties. We agreed a report on a cross-party basis with 100 recommendations. And the overwhelming majority of those recommendations have never been implemented. And I think the reason why you see some of the angry things on the floor of the dull is because there is such anger and frustration, not just among those of us in the opposition benches, uh, that the government won't listen to our constructive proposals and alternatives. But what we're seeing in our constituency offices day and daily. Now, like I said... But you're saying the very just, same thing as them. Build more houses, free up the bureaucracy, give more power to councils, go after Airbnb. It's the, we've, they're all, everyone is saying that, but we, we're losing our young people in their thousands to places like Australia. A brain drain of our young, skilled Irish. A whole gener- generation is being lost because of cross-party political ineptitude. Well, let me say this. The government are the government. They are in charge. uh, And they are the ones whose housing plan is failing. Uh, Nobody on the opposition benches can be blamed for that. Uh, And in fact, the government aren't saying what we're saying. We're saying, and we've said it for any number of years, we need at least 20,000 public homes a year, social and affordable. Government are delivering half of that. We've argued since 2020 that in fact the overall number of homes that are required is 40 to 50,000. Yeah, but they're saying you had an opportunity to do that in the north and you made a hames of it. You'll do the same hames down here. Can I I say this? And I lived in the north for for 11 years. Uh, While we absolutely have a need for increased social and affordable homes, the housing crisis uh, in the south is of a completely different magnitude to the challenges in the north. The second thing is there is no executive at the moment in the north because of the DUP walking away. But when the executive was up and running, the Sinn Féin Minister for Housing, Deirdre Hargey, was putting in place probably the most radical restructuring of social and affordable housing in modern history in the North that would be would, would have put in place exactly the same types of things we want to fall into the South. But, but here's the issue. There is a group of people in charge. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are in control. When we make positive, constructive so, suggestions, they ignore them. So if you, they continue yeah. with failed policies. And that's why I, I think what we need is a general election. And that is preparently, the today. examiner's proposing, November of this year. Why do you think they're calling it early then? What, what's the motivation behind that? Well, all I can do is, is read Daniel McConnell's piece in Examiner, which I'm sure you did as well. Uh, and interestingly, uh, uh, one of the lines uh, that was given by a government minister, unattributed, I have to say, uh, was that given that the longer this government goes on, uh, it was more likely to be breaking the promises that it made at the start. It was better to go early. Than so is he, is he saying get out now, call a new general election so that afterwards we can make new promises? Or you guys can make promises that ultimately are always broken anyway. It just will be under the Sinn Féin mantle this time. Well, what I would say to you is this, is that we've never had an opportunity uh, to prove that we would be different. And I believe we would be different. But we've had governments led by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael for over 100 years. It is time for change. And I think the reason why there is some talk in government of going early is because they know, particularly with respect to housing, the longer Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are in government, 
the worse things are going to get. House prices will rise, rents will rise, homelessness will rise, and social and affordable housing delivery will be below uh, target. We desperately need change. And all I would say to people is, give us a chance. I believe we would do things completely differently. Yes, but uh, oh, and a lot of people promises. don't. A lot of people don't trust you. A lot of people of don't course. trust you. And, they they and, think you and, make up and, your plans as you go along on the hoof. And and of course there will be questions, and that's reasonable and rational. But all I would say to people is, give us a chance. Let us demonstrate that we can th- do things differently. I believe. Well, uh, just address that point that I just that. made. It's about trust. Like, for instance, big business will, will think that you're going to tax the hell out of them. Landlords will probably want to get out of the market because they know as soon as you come along, you'll see them all as being greedy landlords. Whereas I've spoken to people who are small landlords, small ones. They just want to sell for lots of different reasons. They just want mm-hmm. out. Um, and, and they see maybe a Sinn Féin government will speed up that process of getting out ahead of you. Well, two things I'd say, in fact, if, if, if Sinn Féin had been in government in recent years, uh, neither the housing crisis nor the rental crisis would be uh, uh, where it is today because many of the things we proposed, legislation that I drafted and tabled in 2016, 17 and 18, which government voted against, would have actually stabilised our private rental sector. Likewise, if government had listened to us, or indeed if they had listened to that cross-party Dáil Housing and Homeless Committee report that I mentioned earlier, we would have been delivering the volume of social and affordable homes that are required. But I, I, I meet business all the time. I meet landlords and estate agents all the time, as I do meet uh, uh, tenants and, and, and people who are looking to buy their own homes. And what they're all telling us is the same thing. They need a government to deliver the largest affordable housing building program in the history of the state. We're now at such a stage where not only are our young people with good qualifications and skills emigrating, but inward investment has been threatened because uh, uh, people can't get an affordable home to live in. So actually, I think more and more that business listens to Sinn Féin's affordable housing plans, they'll realise this is worth giving it a try. Of course, you don't know what it's going to be like uh, until we're in there. It couldn't be any worse than the mess Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are making currently. Uh, and I believe if we were given the chance, we would rise to the challenge and deliver the 20,000 public homes that are required to tackle this crisis. Is it too late to, is it too late, because everyone's on holidays in the Dáil now, but is it too late to cancel this eviction lifting ban? No, there, there are two weeks. The, 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 the Dáil is in recess this week, you're absolutely right, but there's two weeks after that uh, and government could uh, introduce legislation or could support legislation from the opposition. We're going to table a motion to that effect uh, on Tuesday of next week and we're looking at other options for the week after. Uh, uh, but it's not just about the ban, it's also about what you do during that ban period uh, because a ban can only be temporary. Uh, we need emergency measures to prevent people from becoming homeless, get people out of emergency uh, accommodation more quickly and crucially, increase the supply of social affordable homes. But social affordable, I keep hearing that. What about everybody else who doesn't have HAP or wants to get somewhere to live or somewhere to rent and doesn't get any interjection from anyone? Let me be very, very clear uh, so that there's no doubt. When I use the phrase affordable housing, that is housing, yes, delivered by local authorities and approved housing bodies to rent or buy for for people on incomes up to €85,000 a year. It is for 80% of the population. Social housing is what people understand as traditional council housing. Affordable housing to rent or buy is for those working single people and those working families. If they could even get a mortgage for what's deemed to be an affordable house, which is far from affordable when you look at the prices. 290, 300, 310,000 euro. Absolutely. Of the government schemes, you're absolutely right, but that's because they're designed wrong. Uh, And we still believe that you could deliver affordable homes in and around the 250,000 euro mark if the schemes were designed properly. Uh, And again, we're not saying the same thing as the government because the government thinks uh, a property of 310 up to 400,000 is affordable. Affordable is 250,000 or less. Uh, And until a sufficient volume of those are delivered, 
uh, both to rent and to buy, this crisis will get worse. And where it is going to get worse from April, and where are people going to go, families who have been, uh, evi- will be evicted, or the clock will start ticking again on the 1st of April, um, even people who don't have families, couples, single men, single women, the refugees are full, um, there is nowhere to go, there's no emergency accommodation, there's been a huge drain of affordable stock, really, or available stock, because of, you know, war in Ukraine and, you know, issues like that. The Ukrainian refugee figure could go to 140,000. Even where are they going to go? And this is why the ban needs to be extended. Uh, I have done any number of interviews and debates with government uh, politicians over the last five or six days. Uh, And the one question we keep asking them is, what are you telling people uh, 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 to do at the start of April, when their notice falls, uh, eviction notice falls due, and they have to get out of the rental home, government does not have an answer for that. Uh, and in the absence, they of an answer, said that they, they could buy the property, the didn't they? That they'd have first dibs on it if they could afford it. But that will require legislation. That legislation won't be introduced until the end of the year. We have a looming crisis in April, May, and June, and in the absence of any plan by government to tackle the thousands of families singles, couples, uh, and in some cases pensioners who will face eviction. In the absence of a plan by government, the only alternative is to extend the ban and introduce the emergency measures we've been calling for since last year. Okay, thanks for taking the call. Let's see what happens in the coming weeks. Sona Brinch and Fane Spokesman, appreciate you taking the call and holding patiently as you did. You can text 0868104106, email neil at redfm.ie. That's Sinn Fein's housing spokesperson. Your thoughts on that conversation are welcome. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Just breaking news. Gary Lineker is returning to Match of the Day on Saturday. With regards to the BBC row, he's got an apology, apparently. Sky are reporting this morning the BBC has apologised for the episode and they're going to have an independent review into its social media usage guide. So an apologies for, apology for Gary Lineker. Uh, and back to Match of the Day this coming Saturday. But uh, they're... Well, still an awful lot of talk about the BBC's board of directors right up to the uh, director general. Uh, so that's the latest. I'm sure Rory will have more at 11 o'clock. Text 0868104106 on that and lots more besides. Susan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, I ju- good. I was just reading your, your texts to me. Um, one of them goes back to uh, February of twenty. Well, certainly in and around 2021, uh, one, you know, an awful lot of upset now with people sharing the stories of the deaths of, of loved ones, but anger as well. And I was taken by one of the things that you said, that if you were to put, you say, 21 coffins next to, next to each other, people would sit up and take notice. But were the guards to Bally know it more likely to be 24 coffins? Yeah, 24, actually, 24 deaths over a very short period. Yeah, yeah. But between the 1st and the 11th of February... That 10-day period, 21 deaths. That's right. Yeah, my mom died on the 2nd of February. Yeah, yeah. So she would have been one of the first to die, really, you know. And as you said, all alone with no one around her. No one around her. That's right. And we didn't expect her at all, you know. We got no inclination that she was in danger. Um, uh, we just got, we, well, it started when we were trying to ring um, the home from the 29th of January on and we were getting no no response and that went on for about three or four days. As in no one was answering, is it? No one was answering the phone. They like, they got, like, first of all, they got vaccinated on the 22nd, right? That was on the Friday and my mom tested positive um, on the 24th of January. 
So that means she was vaccinated on the Friday and they, were, she, they obviously did a COVID test for her during the week and she was vaccinated while they were waiting for her to get yeah, the COVID test. Yeah, I, I know. So that was one of the things, one of the big issues I think as well with that they shouldn't have happened with a lot of the, with the residents because a lot of them had COVID when they got the vaccine. But going back to the 29th of January, we were ringing from the 29th of January on and um, there was no, for three days, there was no, nobody were answering the phone and then started hitting the media that there was a crisis up there. And so we eventually got onto the doctor, her doctor, his mobile, and that would have been, um, they like, from the 31st on. We were told she was comfortable and we were told on the 1st she was comfortable and we got an update that night on the 1st of February she was comfortable and the same on the 2nd she was comfortable um, and then we were waiting for an update and we got a call at half seven on the 2nd to say she was after passing. And, um, you couldn't have yeah. gone or anything of course there was no, we, we, we were into the second year of COVID at that stage but you still we, couldn't go no we couldn't go my brother asked could we go up so to be honest we were in shock getting back now I suppose I don't know what we, I don't think there was anything we could have done but um, we were told we couldn't uh, go to the home um, so then um, it, was, it was just a blur really and then her body wasn't released which that's Another other questions that I'm trying to find out the answers for the last two years. For two days? For, like, she, she passed on the Tuesday and they all seemed to pass at the same time, half seven in the evening, um, when we got the call. And then well, her that, body that's, was, that's, that's interesting. Do you have information to back that up, that the time of death was the same? Um, a, yeah, a lot of people, a few people that their mothers, their, their family members passed. It was A lot of it was the same, around the same time. And I, I late, I'm just after getting a bit of information there and the freedom of information. And on the, I think it was the 30th of January, um, my mum was on oxygen. And um, they actually didn't think that she'd make it through the night on the 30th. We didn't, we had no, we never got a phone call um, of anything about, like my mum could have died. Like it was possibly she could have passed away on the 30th, but she pulled through. We never got a call to say she was on oxygen or she her like that she was she was ready to pass. So that went on for two the following two days and we were told she was comfortable. And um so there's a lot of a lot of questions to be answered, you know. So your mum passed away from COVID. Her body was released but would have come out of the nursing home in a closed coffin or casket, right? Yeah. Yeah, and um, you would have... When was the last time you, you, you saw your mother? Um, we saw her just before she got vaccinated. Um, um, it was like a week just, or ten days. Yeah, it was yeah. about ten days. Okay. And, you know, like what kept us all going? Like from start to finish with lockdown, I mean, my mother only went into... Um, she only went into the home on February the 20th, like February 2020. And we went into lockdown in March. So she was literally in the home for two weeks. And which we, like, we've been very unlucky. Like, so she went from... Were you, ever, were you ever trying to get her out, to come home, to be with you? Maybe. You know, we thought she, like, at that stage, we thought she was probably safe. Yeah, in there. Yeah. And, you know, we thought that the restrictions would lead us to, out of it, like, we were... Oh, we were all just hoping for the best. Like I say, since she went in there for the 11 months, 
to be honest, I said we had about, you know, when they ris- they lifted the restrictions, it was a very short time that you might have had one or two visits. So we got about two, I said we got about two to three visits inside in the 11 yeah, months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but around that time when your mother passed away, Ballino was a red zone. It was the highest category yeah. of alert. Um, yeah. we, we know that now. We probably didn't know as much then, but of course a lot of information has become available now. Uh, COVID yeah. was, was, was in it. There was one stage everybody there had it, staff and everything. And still people were coming from hospitals, elderly people coming from hospitals with COVID into Irish nursing homes. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was devastating. Like, me, like, like I can kind of say things now because it's out in the open, but I remember um, when she tested positive on, say, the Sunday, the 24th of January, and I remember ringing on the Monday, Monday morning, that was before they, the calls started, they, that you, they weren't answering, but to see how she was, and the girl in reception, and I, I know who she is now and everything, and she answered, and I just said, and just cry about my mum, Madonna, how is she doing? And she goes, oh, she's fine. She said she's just after passing me there. Now she's gone into the dining room, and I was, I was just relieved. I said, oh gosh, she's good. She's good. But then when I came off the phone, I was saying she should be, she should be. If she has COVID, she should be isolated. So, but they were mixing in in dining rooms and in communal areas. Yeah, but she was after, like she was after uh, testing positive. Yeah, and there were positive cases in some nursing homes in in communal areas. They. They were together. Yeah, it was shocking. Shocking. That's what I mean. And I, like, I thought I just was relieved that she was okay. She was walking but around. But it wasn't your was mom, no. She was talking with somebody else. No, it was my mom. But I say, well, I don't know to this day because she either didn't know that I got the call the day before to say that she did test for for COVID, or else it was there was nobody passed. She was just passing around to say my mom was alright. You don't know. I don't know the answer to that. All I know, I don't know what the answer was. There was, there was probably three scenarios. It wasn't, she, my mom wasn't probably even walking there, you know, she wasn't and, even there. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what the answer is, but she shouldn't have been, she shouldn't have been walking around. If she did, if like, if she did have COVID and tested for the in Sunday, and this was the Monday. You feel angry and you feel numb, of course, and who wouldn't? The fact that your mother died, but the unanswered questions and the circumstances within Ballino, but... You next would have seen your mother in a closed coffin in Blackpool Church. Was that right? Yeah, we couldn't. That's another question. Like we were in phase three and we, a lot of people that they died, they were able to have, you know, prayer. Obviously, you couldn't have an open coffin, but you could have a family prayers around the coffin. But we we were told we couldn't do that. It was that was the rules. And um, so, like, we we didn't we we didn't see her. She just came out. Our funeral was my mom coming out of the hearse in Blackpool Church. So we had no prayers in the funeral home. There was absolutely nothing. It was just, so like, it's just, you're just numb, really. Just, Did you, like, like others, wonder about whether it was definitely your mother in the coffin? Oh, that's my, that's in my, that's my feeling from day one, because there were so many of them. And the fact, like, my mom wasn't released for two days, like, Literally, you, you, you're released after a few hours. And so there was no staff that knew her up there, you know. And oh. nobody knew them. So you carry that worry, don't you? You do. And you carry the worry about them being alone. I mean, regardless if they have dementia, I mean, like the whole 11 months, or they felt left home. They felt, I mean, they felt abandoned. I mean, 
looking back, I mean, my mother, my mother walked into the home, now her mind, like, we literally put my mother in so that, just to keep her safe by night. She was never left in there to die. I mean, it was just for her to, to be safe by night. We will, we, we all, our intentions would take, take her out most days because we lived nearer. It was just my dad is elderly at home. So it was, she wasn't sleeping. So that was the main thing for so you carry guilt as well then? Do oh, you, the guilt. The yeah. guilt, I mean, like my dad was at home for the whole two years and he didn't get COVID. If we had kept, and we, like my mother had dementia since her 60s. We had, we managed her for 15 years and we put her into the, like she, I know that sounds terrible, put her in, but she went into the home for her safety. Yeah, oh, I and, know, I know, I know. But the, and she died. I know. She died and if she was at home, she wouldn't have gone and she deteriorated. And she deteriorated from loneliness as well as everything else in the 11 months, which was horrendous for a lot of, I'm, I'm, it's from, for everybody that went into the homes. And so many emotions. Home. You're carrying so many different emotions, really and truly. It's just yeah, it's, it's, so it's, sad. It's, it's awful. So but you're like hearing me. a lot of stories now being shared. I know we're sharing as many as we can, giving people an opportunity. I hope it helps, you know. Well, definitely. It's for going forward. Like, but you see, like, we, we, we took everything that they, like the government, I mean, they're constantly making mistakes. And this is another big mistake, you know, like, I, I, can I just tell you one story? And I know, I, I know you're for time, but I remember we had one visit with my mom in November up in the home and myself and my dad, my dad is nearly 82. And we went in to the home and we have, were fully gowned up. It was um, one of the visits that you could go in, fully gowned up. And we were in the dining room and um, we had to keep a distance. But the minute my mom saw me, she jumped up and she, I had my gown, now I had everything on and she linked me. So I don't know if you're familiar with Ballino, but you go around in a whole circle. So she wanted to go for a walk, so she linked me and we went around. And by the time I got halfway down the other side, there was about five or six of them in front of me and grabbed my mom off me. And because you had to have the so many meters, right? Yeah, so I understand yeah, all that, meters, right? I yeah. do understand all that. So they grabbed, no, I was very upset. That was the one day I was really, really upset. And I was cross, I was very cross. And we were sitting down, my, my dad was saying, look, calm down now, this is the way it is. And I looked and never threw a word said, the girl, the terror across me. And I know who she is and I, I know everything. And don't worry, I'm not going to say anything. She was across from me. And she had no gloves, no mask in her. And she was rubbing my man's hand, consoling her, my man's and I said to her I said we are not going to give our loved ones COVID I said if any of you you are going to bring it into the home I said we are going up I said we, 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 we were our temperature was tested we, were, we did COVID tests before we went in and my, I couldn't hold my mum's hand even with gloves but she could across from me she could oh, and, and I said I said it I said look at you I said you have no mask you have no gloves and I said it's here going to bring it into the home, not the families, mm. because the families are not going to put their their um, loved ones at risk. Like my dad was mm. two years and he didn't, and he's 82 and I he know. didn't get COVID. So know. he was protected. So it's they are 100% responsible in the home. And there's big money being paid for their loved ones to be looked after. Mm. And I would shock you to tell you what we paid. And I know it's not about money, but if the money that we, there was 30,000 paid for my mom's care for 11 months. And I have the receipts to prove it. I know, I know. And I know it's it's just and not even a phone call. It's tragic. So many tragic stories. Susan, thank you for coming back to me. It's important to catch up again. um, And uh, I wish you well going forward. Thank you so much. Thanks very much, Neil. Thanks for calling. Bye. Back after eleven. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six.
I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Red FM's Cash Machine. Someone's going to have the opportunity to win a big chunk of money this week. €70,000 up for grabs. Just think about what you would do with all of that money. 70 grand. Text RED, the word RED, to 57557. That's RED to 57557. Cost, cost, €2.50 per text, plus your standard message rate to play. you got to be over 18. You're playing across the Go Loud network of stations, and there are full terms and conditions on the website redfm.ie. you got to get your text in by 3 p.m. Thursday, and then we could be calling you. Answer the phone within five rings. Tell us the prize amount and the cash is yours. And that cash is 70,000 euro. 70 grand, exactly. Text red to 57557. 57557. Do it now. The home of the cash machine in court. Now. Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. In spite of everything else, it's uh, Monday. We have the Monday Munchies again. Many people do. Kicking off the week, uh, Offbeat Donuts every Monday morning give us a lot of those circles of obsessions. And it's across the full range of the Offbeat Donuts donuts. That would include Red Velvet, Toffee Crispy, Peanut Butter Cup, Hazelnut, Salted Caramel Pecan, the Classic Glazed and many, many more. Uh, We'll say nothing about designer coffees or cold brews or anything like that. This is just donuts. So uh, you need to text or WhatsApp where you are, who you're working with, and most importantly, why you and your colleagues deserve a Monday treat to kickstart the week. The Red Patrollers, when I pick a winner, and I will, around about 10 minutes to midday, Red Patrollers will deliver five boxes of donuts at 60 donuts for you and your workmates. You might be able to share them with other businesses around you as well. All right, so good luck with that. So text or WhatsApp 0868104106, who you are and where you are, and most importantly, why you and your colleagues deserve a Monday treat. Get texting now. We'll pick a winner around about uh, 10 to midday. We also got some great trad music to play us out today and hopefully every day this week heading into the St. Patrick's Day festivals uh, with some of the best of the Irish uh, traditional music and various music every day between now and Thursday. Uh, The message put out with regards, Neil, to the Middleton St. Patrick's Day festival, the message put out there was blaming the businesses, the lack of volunteers and even the motorists in the town. And that, I believe, is very unfair and very untrue. I'm surprised people haven't been taken to task. Um, They were some of the reasons given, because that's what I read in the newspapers, that was cancelled because there was lack of interest, lack of volunteers. Didn't hear anything about how motorists had to play on this. But I'll tell you the one frustrating thing. In spite of our best efforts, it's been impossible to get anybody as part of uh, the now-cancelled Middleton St. Patrick's Day Festival to come on the air and tell us what happened. It's just impossible. It's not as if we haven't been trying. We have. But there's nobody talking. Certainly not not talking to me. Um, so it's not going to happen. Uh, match of the day, uh, in spite of the update there, of course, is Lineker got an apology. He's going back on television on Saturday night. Somebody says, the viewership of Match of the Day went up on Saturday night. Check it out yourself. <laughs> I pass that on for what it's worth. The jockey that I was talking about earlier on who won a race at the age of 66, somebody says, uh, Willie Burke is the jockey trainer. He's 66 years old and a pure gent. And then I played a couple of bad taste jokes with regards to the Irish at the Oscars and things that were said. 
big response to that. They are jokes. Get over yourself. Or are you another one of the cancel culture, says John. To answer your question on that one, no, I'm not. Uh, can't come on air, but this generation is turning into little snowflakes. Can't they take a joke anymore? Obviously and sadly, we won't see the likes of Monty Python, Faulty Towers, Benny Hill, um, because of this generation, says Kieran. Everything's been cancelled. Well, if you thought the jokes were in good taste, well and good. Uh, I have to say, I can take a joke like the best of them, but it comes with balance as well. Uh, the only thing that I saw really was somebody saying, oh, there's a couple of Irish people are going to be on the stage, there's going to be a fight. And then you had two incoherent act- actors pretending to be Irish and drunk. Uh, can we just have a laugh along with these jokes rather than get offended at every opportunity? As Ricky Gervais would say, they're just jokes, says Lenny. Um, I couldn't care less when we Irish have the pee taken out of us. It would say more if we weren't mentioned at all. Some com- soon comedians will be taking the mick out of all ethnic groups, but not a mention or a breath, uh, a word about a certain few. Uh, will that not stick out like a sore thumb to these groups? No doubt the race card will be played then as well. Not quite sure what you were alluding to there. Happy to read your text up, but I can't say that I follow it because it, it's kind of a cloaked text. So come out and be a bit more... Uh, straightforward and I might be able to understand but thank you for it nonetheless. Leo Varadkar his government are telling people to go to Garda stations if they're evicted and have no place to go. Well my buddy's a cop and he's saying that the people should get go to their local TD's constituency office and stay there. Uh, no wonder they can't get people to join the Gardaí when they're being sent out to enforce stuff that they're not in agreement with so to speak. So instead of the Garda station people go to your local TD's office and stay put there. And one other one on that, if you're, going, if you're going to be talking about housing, you should ask about changing the housing bill where the government has the right to take your house from you. It's being brought in as part of climate change and equity for all residents. Uh, you have a good research team. Perhaps they should look into it. I would need to look into that because I certainly have never heard of the government having the right to take your house from you. I know that the banks have a right to take your house from you, but... I suppose nothing would surprise you these days. Back after the break, calls on the way. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Well said, P. Well said, he says, or he or she, I'm not quite sure. I'm going to call it that this day next year we will be celebrating a Corconian winning an Oscar. It will be Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. It's out this summer and will be the biggest film of the year. Bring it on, P. Here's hoping that that will happen. I can't wait for it, actually. There's an awful lot of press about it. So you could well be right. It could be a Cork Oscar this time next year. Let's keep it quiet for fear that we put the kibosh on it. Anyway, text 0868104106 and uh, we'll drive on. Tony, um, thank you so much for holding. Good morning to you. Good morning, Tony. Um, I, Good morning, I originally, Actually, you know something you probably know, but I got a text from your daughter, Sharon. You're, you're probably aware of that. I am. Yeah. Okay. And I, I, I found her. What's well, an email? Actually, e- her email and yours, very upsetting. And and I didn't even know your late wife, Betty. Um, but I thought it was very sad to read that Betty was sixty one, only sixty one, and yourself and Betty had plans for retirement. You were getting your pensions sorted, and you were looking forward to this, you know, period in your life going forward together, and that you would have done anything for her. When she was diagnosed with cancer, you had the sitting room all sorted for her. You had the hospital bed brought in because you'd have done anything for Betty. You loved her so much, but she never got out of the hospital. That's so sad, Tony. It really is. Yeah, Neil, that's correct. Um, my wife, Betty, was first time in hospital at 61 years of age. Um, 
we had a need one day to call an ambulance for her, unfortunately, on the 6th of August. Um, she collapsed at home um, with, pneumo- with pneumonia. Um, during routine blood samples and tests in the, the hospital... They found a blood cancer was, in there. Yeah. yeah, they found a multiple myeloma, and yeah. uh, which was treatable, which was fine. You know, she was responding very, very well to treatment and making a very good recovery. Such a good recovery, in fact, that on the, the 1st of September... She was transferred from the hospital to a rehabilitation centre. Um, doing very well, and she was hoping to be home to us within two to three weeks of being admitted to that facility. Um, what happened in the, rehab? Um, on the 8th of September, she was, I got a phone call stating that she was she felt unwell. And, or sorry, on the, 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 the 8th of September, yeah, that she was feeling unwell, and they transferred her back down to the hospital. She had developed a chest infection. Now, she responded very well to that. Um, but on the 10th of September, she, bear in mind how she was only in hospital for two days, mm. they decided to move her back up to the rehabilitation centre, mm. um, which I found strange. I got a phone call stating when they collect Betty at half past two in the afternoon and bring her up to the facility, mm. which I would do anything for my wife, Neil, and I did. I gladly got into the car, met her, the nurse came out with her and I went up straight from the hospital to the facility. On arrival there, I informed the nurse that my wife still wasn't right, that she was out of breath, that she was um, panting, coughing and showing signs of um, fever. Mm. So that was on the Friday. Did you have any thoughts as to what that was? Um, Well, I still thought it was the the, the infection, the chest infection. Right, okay. So, Yeah. yeah, And on the Saturday, my family and myself went up to the facility and we were speaking with Betty through a window and she was out in her chair and I noticed that she was shivering and, you know, she said she wasn't feeling well and she felt hot. And so my daughter, Sharon, went down to the main door, knocked at the door because we couldn't get in, um, informed the lady at the reception of my, well, the, 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 what we had thought was wrong with my wife. So she said, yeah, we'll sort something out. So we went away after another hour, hour and a half, and Sunday, I got a, I rang the facility to be told that she was, they were waiting on a GP, that um, she had, in fact, still got the infection, so yeah. they thought. There was no, was there any okay. COVID swab now or COVID, t- COVID test or anything like that? No, Neil, and that's that's what I was coming to in a minute. Okay. Um, when See, for me, listening to your story and many others like it, I, I'm always amazed at your strength and your courage to be, because... I, I keep thinking if it were my wife through the glass and she's in the room and I'm outside looking yeah, in, yeah. I, I think I would just, yeah. I would faint, I would just pass out, I wouldn't well, be able to. I know you get the strength so to hard. do what you did. Yeah, it's really, really so hard and people don't realise it. Um, but look, she was transferred back down. Um, I got a phone call in the evening from a doctor from the hospital stating that they had COVID swabbed her and she was positive. Now, she was definitely positive on the Friday, Neil when I picked her up at the hospital because I tested positive on the following Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Now, I was, I was self-isolating at home. I, I stayed at home for the full duration of it. I, I didn't even go to work. Um, I know. So back to the mercy then with Betty, is it? That's correct, yes, yes. Uh, and she, she just went downhill quite rapidly. Uh, she did. She did, unfortunately. Um, we were called in on the, the 20th by her team stating that uh, that 
there was no more obviously that they could do for her. Was she in ICU day. at any stage? She was in ICU on the twentieth. That yeah. you know, that's you know, things didn't look good, but she was fighting. She was fighting. Um on the twenty eighth, no, sorry, the twenty sixth of September we got a phone call to to attend the hospital. My two girls, uh, my son and myself. We went up, we met her team who unfortunately said that there was no more they could do for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, look, you know, they wanted to, to, to end it there and then because there was, I could see the surprise in their face and I said, look, I said, I'm not happy. We've, we've spent no time with, with Betty for, since the 6th of, 6th of August when she was in the hospital. So I said, look, I said, we need some time with her. Now they did allow us three days access to my wife. Mm-hmm. Now we were fully PP, we had everything on us, you know, gowns, masks, gloves, everything. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, on the 1st of October 2021, my wife passed away. Sharon so said Sharon wife, said that when she saw her, her hair was so matted from not being brushed, it was horrible oh, yeah, to see our yeah, once healthy yeah, mother Neil, and wife Neil, looking we, so frail yeah, and vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, Neil, we had a couple of issues while she was in the hospital facility itself. Um, but that's for another day, you know. The, yeah. the, these are superficial compared to... The main thing that I'm worried about is on the 10th of September, my wife should have been swabbed according to protocol at the time when she was being moved from one hospital facility to the other one. She wasn't swabbed. Now, those 48 hours could have been pivotal for, for her health. She, she could have battled it because it was at the start. She was, she was negative on the Wednesday. They never tested her on the Friday when she was being transferred up and on the Sunday she was positive. Mm-hmm. So there's a period of two days Whereas if they had tested her on the Friday before moving her up to the facility, she would, she was positive because she gave it to me and in, in the, the care, in my care, from the Mercy Hospital to the orthopedic. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. She gave it to me. I know, I know. I know, I know you know? I know. And that, that's, that's the questions that I've asked the appeals officer in the Mercy Hospital. I'm still awaiting a reply on that, even though the report was supposed to be completed by the 25th of February. I'm still waiting on the report. Um, I just want to know, Neil, why wasn't she swabbed? I mean, yeah, but if she caught, she had caught COVID, and Karen, and Sharon was saying she was sent back and forth from the hospital one to another, and infecting yes. more people as she was being put That's on correct. the oncology ward as well. She had cancer, so she was an oncology yes. positive, and yes, yes, and, you know, and I, another I, thing, another thing. I understand again. Ward, I understand. Was, the, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the oncology ward she was on, Saint Bernadette is a Monday to Friday ward. And that's another reason why she was moved back on the Friday to, to, to the orthopedic, because they were closing for the weekend. See, for an awful lot of the families, ward. you see, they, they're, here, they're sharing stories of people who actually died from COVID that they got in a hospital setting. And that's got to yeah, be heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Neil, my, my wife and myself, we didn't move out of the house for a year and a half. We were out of the house on two occasions, and that was to get our vaccines. Like, we followed protocol, we followed all the guidelines, and then to catch it inside, like, she was fully vaccinated... And the answer I got from the, the hospital was that she was, she, it was a probable hospital case, a quiet hospital case. Mm. How could it be probable? No, she was, was nowhere else. Like what, what the hospital, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you know, what, were I mean, your, what were your retirement plans? Well, we were, we were thinking of moving to Spain. We had, we had bought a place in Spain. Um, now it was only a mobile home, but it was something that we've had a mobile home for 45 years. In Gary Rowan, East Cork, and yeah. we sold that to buy yeah. the place in Spain. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, she never, she never even saw the mobile home. But she was very excited about those plans and getting oh, everything yeah. ready oh, for it. Oh yeah, yeah. 
And you know, we, we got it for our families. You know, like my son and his fiancée, my two daughters and their husbands and the, the kids, they could have all used it, you know, and it would have been yeah. great for them. Yeah. You know, but that's yeah. all been taken from So, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, there, there's, there's no, I, I don't see any future for myself, to be honest, Neil. How, how are you coping? Oh, Neil, some days are so hard. Some days are so black. You know, it's, like, we spent, like, I met my wife in 1977, we married in 1979, and we've never been out of each other's sight. Never. Never. People often stop us on the streets and say to us, you know, how united we were, and, and that's all gone. It's taken from me, and only, and I, I have no future. I know. You feel as and if I, you I have no that. future. You yeah. feel there's no reason oh, to go need, on. Yeah. No, Neil, I don't. I don't. And, you know, that's, unfortunately, that's reality for me now at the moment. You know, I, every day is a different day for me. Some days are blacker than others. Some days you wake up, you're fine. And then, it only, it, listen, Neil, it could be a song on your radio station. Yeah. Or something, you know, a robin coming to the garden. And it, it sets everything off. You know, it really does set everything off. People yeah. don't realise the hurt and, you know, the pain that COVID, COVID caused, you know. And, like, I, I personally think that Betty's death could have been avoided. If she was COVID tested on, on the Friday of the tenth of September, she'd have better. She'd have had a better chance. She wouldn't. Have, she'd have had two days fighting. Like she, she, she battled through everything else. She battled through the double pneumonia. She battled through the, the, the multiple myeloma, and she was flying with it. You know, and as I said, she she was only a matter of days before she was being released home to us. Did you talk to her near and the then, end? Were there? Did you manage to have conversations? Uh, we did need, but she was she was weak. You know, she was weak, and she she was terrified. Neil, Neil, look, my family would tell you, people that know us would tell you, my wife absolutely was petrified of COVID, and the minute she heard she had COVID, Neil, I guarantee you, like she was on her own, we were able to video call her up to the time up as as far as she could take the calls office, and she was terrified, absolutely terrified. You think you she know? lost the fight when she heard that? I would think so, Neil. I, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was an awful I, lot of I, I, fear, I, I, wasn't there? An awful lot of fear. Oh, and we Neil, look back at it and we wonder how yeah. much of it was necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And you know, and it's... Like, I, I, I've only heard about Care Champions in the last six weeks. I never heard of them before. And Well, it was your original email, actually, yeah. where we started looking yeah. at this again now because we're talking yeah. about an inquiry yeah. and, of course, we had the Primetime Investigates and Care Champions yeah. reaching yeah. out to people like yourself but, who went Neil, through... Where, where, are the lo- where are the politicians up and down this country. Why aren't they, you know, swinging from the rooftops trying to get our point across? I mean, nearly 9,000 people died in care homes and hospitals hospitals over this, you know? Yeah, yeah, the figures are, the figures are alarming when you look at them. We're looking at, um, yeah, I won't go through them again. I went, I broke them down last week. Do you, you are aware of the breakdown, are you? They talk about nearly 8,675 8, yeah. deaths, yeah. of yeah. which uh, nursing homes had 2,693, hospitals had 1,130, community yeah. hospitals another 213, residential yeah. institutions 130. When you add them all up, all of the other locations outside of healthcare amount to 276 deaths. Isn't it shocking? Yeah, yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. But, you know, and a lot, a lot of this would have been avoidable. A lot of this would have been avoidable, yeah. you know. You know, and, and they, they come along and they say, oh, it was a new virus. But, I mean, Neil, this was stage two and stage three. You know, 
the protocols were there, they had learned an awful lot about it yeah. from other countries. But they obviously didn't follow the protocols. But Tony, you, you, have a long, you have a long life ahead of you. Do you think you'll ever be able to enjoy some aspects of your life again? No, no. No? No. no. Been, no Children, no, grandchildren? Been, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, well, they're my life now at the moment because they were always our life. But they're my life now. Um, like I went to Spain with my son and my daughter um, and we sold them all at home. Because I had no interest in it. And they didn't have any interest in going over. You know, so the best thing to do was just to sell it. You know. Um, but how would Betty feel if she knew that you had kind of given up? Uh, <laughs> she wouldn't have been happy. She wouldn't have been happy, Neil. Um, you know, she was a very, very strong person. Like she, uh, And I mean this, she was so strong. Um, like any problems within the family, she sorted them. You know, there was always an answer to a problem. Always the answer. Whereas, you know, other people would, would you know, just accept things as they are, but she found answers. Yeah. You know, but do you not think that she, it, she do you not think that she would be upset that you you say that you're finding life too difficult or you don't see any purpose? Um and maybe you do that because you, you think it's the respectful thing to do for her memory. Do you follow me? Yeah, and and that's that's the way like I, I this has been said to me and you know, I that's the, they're my feelings and you know, no nothing that anybody will say will change those feelings. You know, she was the only woman for me. I was the only man for her. And that's, that's the way it's always going to be, you know? I mean, I, I, I don't see any purpose in going out. I don't socialize, you know? Um, I, I, you know, I, I just stay at home. I go to, go to Kilcully every day to visit her. Yeah, every and day. Every day. You know, every day. Oh, yeah, every day, Neil. Yeah, every day. Tony, Tony, Tony. Every day. Yeah. So sad. So sad, Neil, you know. Um, like, I don't know, I've got the strength even to speak to you now this morning because I, I'm speaking from the sitting room and the sitting room is just full full of horror, you know. I know, so, I know. I don't mean to... Look, that's I, my story. I don't mean to upset you. I mean, it's just no, you're fine. It's so you're sad. Fine. Um, but, you're you know, fine. you have found the strength and others are finding the strength as well to share their stories of yeah. their loved ones, their yeah. beloved mothers and fathers, husbands and wives. Yeah. So thank you yeah. for that, Tony. We'll be, no problem, we'll be thinking just, of you. Stay in touch. Thank you so much. And I just hope people listen, Neil. I really do. I just hope people listen. All right. Because they're, they're true stories. and They are know, true stories. They're, heart, they're heartbreaking. They're they heartbreaking, Neil. They are. Every single okay, one of them. Listen. Thanks, Tony. Thank regards so to you. And also say thank you to Sharon, your daughter, for getting in touch as well. Thank you. I will, Neil. Thank right. you so God much. Bless. Bye-bye. Take care. God bless. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. Morning, Neil. We listen to you regularly in Spain. I would like to congratulate you for highlighting the Ballino issue on your programme. My mother was one of the residents who died alone in her room at Ballino in February of 2021. Someone should have been held accountable and still should be, still should be for the distress that all of the families who lost their loved ones during this time have felt then the families might be able to move on and deal with their grief. Thank you for that, Patricia. Appreciate everybody who gets in touch. Can I just say that there was that period of time in early 2021. There was a few-week period where it really was a serious red zone. You had 24 deaths in one month in early 2021. And I, and I believe, if I'm right, that uh, Phil Mangan was possibly the first call that I got with regards to issues being as bad as they potentially were in Ballino back, um, you know, early last year. Phil joins me by phone. Phil, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, Am Um, am I I right about that? I'm vaguely remembering. I I recall a time when we started to get news of how bad things were 
in Ballino in the previous 12 months. Well, you were one of those, weren't you? Yes, I was, Neil. Well, I suppose I was actually uh, the first person <clears throat> to actually make a call to another uh, family member or another family that I knew had a relative in the home uh, because of my grave concerns of what I encountered um, with Ballino um, just over the two days um, that I experienced, what I experienced in there. Um, January just- 21? Am I, am I, is that about right? So- that's right, yeah. Neil. January, okay. around the 10th of January, yeah. I had a beautiful um, window visit with my mum. And um, she was in very good form. And I had changed my phone and I told her that I could uh, get up, you know, um, we'll say, uh, songs that she, I knew she'd like. So we sang songs for a half an hour. And she laughed, you know, for the half an hour. Could she hear so them I, through the glass? Now? How did that work? She could hear them because she had her earphones. She had her earphones okay. on her ear. Yeah. And I had my phone on the other side of the window. Yeah. And um, so that's a lovely memory I have. And that's the last time I saw her healthy. Playing music through a headset through a window. My God. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I, I had all the pericomo, all her songs that she loved, and I said, oh my God, Mom, it's a good job that nobody can hear me singing. But you never <laughs> knew laughing. how bad things were going to be that I would lead to the know. death of I mean, Kathleen Mangan at the age of 94. Absolutely, Neil. I mean, if I had known at the start of January that there was even any outbreak, I would have taken my mum out of that um, nursing home. And that's something I feel really guilty about, you know, I feel terrible about because we would have loved to have at her home at that stage. But um, no, we were totally unaware of the background problems that were going on. And that's the the saddest part of the whole thing, Neil, is that we didn't have, you know, the next, let's say, 20, 25 days that we could have had, you know, with my mum. That was all taken from us because I only found out a day and a half before she died that my mum had COVID, uh, that my mum was vaccinated for COVID, even though there was a there was a lot of, you know, infection in the um in the home at that stage, they were they were vaccinated. On top of that, you know, all the so staff was, at one stage and all the residents tested positive. Some continued to work for a period of time after January twenty twenty one. It's it's yeah. Dreadful. What ha- what ha- what ha- dreadful? What happened? My family anyway is that we I wasn't able to get in contact with the home in the two weeks leading up to all these. Um, terrible incidences that we had anyway, you know, to find out a day and a half before my mum died. And what happened then? Was that a phone call or what? Come um, quick, your mother's dying. It was, you know, it was such a a shock, let's say. I was the the family rep, you know, for the home. And it was another sister got the first call, which would have been very unusual. And then I suppose... I was busy during that day and by the time I was contacted, it was 10 o'clock at night. So I rang the home straight away and I spoke to the nurse on duty and he said, oh, your mum is fine. She's very good. Calm down. Um, He had seen, he said, his experience, he had seen a woman in Dublin recover um, previous to that or um, who had COVID and recovered. So my hopes were up and... uh, 
then I was ringing the next day and um, by the time, oh yes, I got a call then at two o'clock to say that my mother um, wasn't well and to come in immediately. So when I went in, I was met by the HSC rep and he was very much 100% on board with all the um, standards, you know, of the COVID. Uh, so we were put all our uh, PPE gear yeah, on. Yeah, but at this stage now, HICWA and the HSE had clearly gone in there. There was lots of times when they should have and they didn't, but at some stage they must have because was that individual, he wasn't a staff member, was he? Uh, no, he was. He said he was um, the rep from HSE uh, uh, instead of the head of nursing. So yeah. he was head of the operation that day. So the HSE so were we now were, in the building. Yeah, they were. Yeah. And uh, so, he, well, I suppose as as a backup. So he put. He asked us to go around the building, in the back door. We weren't allowed into the um, the uh, lift. And we had to go up and uh, into the room. But I was shocked, Neil, when I saw my mum, actually. I mean, she was in a, a grey, very, very weak state. I, I initially, I suppose I'd have experienced in, you know, um, oh my God, the uh, elderly and ill and all of that. And what I noticed straight away, because I, I, um, I, I worked in um, one of the nursing homes there in... Uh, that was when okay, I was Okay, so what, what do you saw? But anyway, Jan- I thought jaundice, she, was very, she was very yellow, jaundice, you know, and she asked for water. And, oh, it was very, ha- you know, it was only young kids were in around there, you know, it was, it was very upsetting. Though, young though. kids as in young staff? Oh, my God, Neil. Um, they were uh, very young, 17, 18. I asked one or two, they were from Dublin. And they spilled water up in her and she was very distressed and uh, it was terrible. It was See, most of the staff on this stage were out with COVID so they're scrambling to get staff elsewhere um, yeah. and you know like it was it was just a catastrophe at this stage. It was a catastrophe because you see when I went in look um, there's Were you there I, just uh, forgive me Phil with regards to the time that I've left this morning but were you there when you were you there for her passing? Well, I'll tell you, when I went in the next day then, the, um, we were got, given a call, like all the families, last minute. Like that added to our suffering. Um, I got a call to say, um, hurry, hurry. And ringing for hours before that, um, looking to get in to see my mum. And uh, that was another upsetting thing. Mm-hmm. Then that, the next, that day then, uh, which was the following day, I met another member of staff. And... Um, uh, a member of staff there. Very little protocol of uh, PPE gear. Okay. Very, very messy. Yeah. Went straight into all the the restricted areas. I was walking through all the the areas. You know, with healthy residents. Was told to go up on the lift, which was contrary to the first yes, day. Yes, I know. And I, know. I just stepped at the um, doorway of my mum's room. And um, my brother and myself, I just saw my mum's head go to the side. She had died. Just as you approached the door? Yeah. Oh, yeah, just stepped. Oh, my God. So I just missed, after ringing, we'll say at 10. Everything is so sad. At 10 that morning, I was talking to one of the members of staff, and they promised me that I would be allowed in. 
20 calls and uh, she died close to 3 o'clock. And um, was it then after that, the passing of mother, that you got in touch with other families and said, listen, it was. things are I shocking up there. there. You need I to be saw, aware. I saw, I was wailing when, when I missed my mum's death. And about the whole, you know, the one day, day one, day two. Then I had day three because, uh, you know, I was I was thrown in then to um, arranging a funeral and all of that. And so I, I rang uh, later on that day and asked, could I have, because my mum had a beautiful photograph of my dad and herself and she loved it. And I wanted to put that on the coffin. So I, um, they said, OK, that they would uh, give it to us give it to me and uh, I went the next day to um, to get it and to run up, fly over to Harvey mm. Norman and when I opened the envelope over in Harvey Norman it was a different family's Oh photograph. my god, it just gets worse and worse I'm so sorry about that Yeah, so look, terrible. when I went back yeah. then the next day, when I went back the next day then with that, with that um, or the photographs of the other family you know, it was that interaction with the staff again now that, uh, mm. you know, what was said to me was, you know, complete contrary to COVID rules, you know, I what know, was said. I so I knew then when I sat in the car, I said there's something gravely wrong. And, and you started to tell I contacted us. the yeah. other families okay. and I contacted you then. I'm glad you did. Away. I'm glad you did, yeah. Phil. If I had more time, and I wouldn't be trying to, um, um, you know... I know. Move Nathan, on from your very sad you story. Been, you know, it's, we, you've been extremely supportive uh, to the cause, um, Neil. And I must say, it's a huge thank you to you. Okay, well, look after yourself, Phil. Yeah. Um, and if I have Thanks, opportunities Neil. to talk to you again in the future, well and good. Particularly with regards to um, uh, a public inquiry into all of this. And uh, just very yeah. briefly, you obviously did watch the. Uh, primetime investigate shows so that that makes you even sadder or more frustrated or maybe even yes. yeah. Yeah. well it does but yeah. I mean it's it's great that it's okay. it's being highlighted now and the the grave you know errors yes. that yeah. will come out in the inquiry that people have a lot to thank you for Phil you didn't just right. mind your own business you let people know how bad mm. it was and then of course it kickstarted well, an awful lot of concerns regarding nursing homes and indeed yes uh, Thank you. Know. Thanks, Phil. Take you, care. Take care. Thank you very much. All the yes, best. Thanks. Thanks 0868104106. We'll pick up on this in the morning for sure. Also, I want to come back to issues involving housing and uh, evictions and the lifting of the eviction ban and what have you. But that'll be the morning as well. But your thoughts and stories are welcome on that one. You can email neil at redfm.ie. Lots to do tomorrow, but I did promise music every day this week leading in to the St. Patrick's Day uh, weekend festivals and of course they will kick off later in the week and, and then we have St. Patrick's Day itself uh, on the Friday but after the break we got some musicians from the Lee Sessions in studio after this Talk to Neil Prenderville now 0818 104 106 Cork's Red FM
Kennedy and the two Turks up from County Waterford. We have two Turks in the house. Is that right? Jason and Robin, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. spot on. Very good. And Thanks the main man himself. Please tell me there's going to be a lot of that kind of caper now going on over the next few days. Absolutely in loads. of Cork. Absolutely loads of us, Neil. You, oh, might, you, might, you might even join us on the pipes we were saying. I, you're too fast. <laughs> you have to slow down a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'd start from about five seconds. You'd be gone off like a speedboat. <laughs> we'll train you in. Don't worry. We have a full week to practice. We'll Three grand. sessions. What's going to be happening now? When is it starting? Yeah, so look, a little background of the Lee Sessions. I suppose <laughs> it's a Cork City Council initiative. It's been running since 2011. So it's now in the 13th year. Uh, you can check out the weekly Lee Sessions Trad Trail at theleesessions.com. What days does it start, the trail? Oh, it's starting on Thursday. And it's going on until Sunday. And there are a whopping 24 sessions on over the weekend. Different places? Different places. Give us a flavour like where? Um, so we have the Chenet. We'll sit mostly around Cork City. The Chenet, the Franciscan Well, the Corner House, the Long Valley, the White Horse in Ballancolig. JJ Walsh's, Spalpeen Fawnock, Charlie's, and Tom Barry's. And that's just to get started with. Correct. Okay. <laughs> Nighttime gigs? Yeah, they're all gigs, kind of rock, mostly kind of from 6 pm onwards. Most of them. It's going to be so, incredible, isn't it? Be great, crack, It's yeah. incredible. So, forward. how many are you playing with you? Go, you play together, or will be more with you? Yeah, so both Robin and Jason, who are brothers, have a band called Torcon. They're actually playing on Saturday in Fort House, and on Friday, Patrick's Day, I'm actually in the Franciscan Well from half two to half four, and half five to half seven. And then both the Turks and I are playing in the Chine on Patrick's Day at eight to ten. Do you know the Cork pubs, lads? Oh, we know them well. Yeah. <laughs> Any particular favourites? <laughs> Um, Callan's is a favourite. Um, Callan's on George's Key. Yeah. yeah, the Chenet is a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah we love yeah. the Chenet. Yeah. Yeah. Corner House does a lot of tread on the Thursday night with Owner Reeve. You're aware of that. Yeah. Did you ever get into that? I did, yeah. It's a great tread session. Oh, yeah. Yeah. House so it's, great. it's a great opportunity to celebrate all things Irish. It's brilliant. Okay. So if people want to get along to a session, a tread session from Thursday to Sunday, where will they get the deets? Online, they? is it? The yeah, details? On, on the Lee Sessions. It's on the Lee Sessions.com. And everything's on that. And there's a Facebook page for the Lee Sessions as well if they want to check is it out. Is that free entry then and everything? Yeah. All free entry, totally. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Okay. All right. So it'll be pulling good points and listening to good music. Absolutely. Could I twist your arm for another one just to play us out? How are you fixed? Absolutely. Set of reels, lads? Yeah. Oh, oh Huey and Jason and Robin with a set of wheels. Something lively. Set of reels. Okay.
level. I mean, is it like there's a real fusion going on there? I'm getting the trad stuff, but I'm picking up jazz. Am I getting a bit of Cajun? <laughs> funk? Variety is the spice of life. Amazing piece of work. Well done. Thanks a million. Oh my God, I want to be where you are on Thursday night. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys, for coming Brilliant. in. That was awesome. Thanks a million for having us, Neil. So proud to be Irish with music like that. Thanks, Huey. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Robin. And of course, bring on the Lee Sessions right across the uh, bank holiday weekend and all things Irish for the St. Patrick's Day Festival. Our Monday Munchie winners for today, courtesy of ourselves and Offbeat Donuts. Here's a few shout-outs first, though, to everybody at Kiri's Hyundai store would love the donuts today. To everybody at the Cork Clinic, our patients would love a nice treat. Feed them sugar. In the hospital, uh, company uh, fo- uh, f- Pro Photonics in Little Island uh, would need a sugar rush. It's a w- rainy, wet Monday. And then people at House of Heron can sell. Uh, fair play, keep them coming, Billy. All this latte and cold brew, I'll tell you now, only Tay will do. But my desires for donuts will not lessen, especially offbeat, full of obsession, says Billy at SOS Recovery Blarney. Keep on trying with the, uh, with the Limericks, Billy. You'll get there in the end. But for this morning, we've got munchies and offbeat donuts going to the Carrick Tool Community College staff and players of the under-15 girls soccer team. They are in the All-Ireland semi-final tomorrow. They deserve a treat and maybe the sugar will make them run around the pitch faster and improve their eyeball coordination. So for the Carrington Community College staff and players, that's our Munchies winners for today, courtesy of ourselves and Offbeat Donuts. Have a good day, guys. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.